0: Good evening, Train to Live podcast episode number three. Herb Tyler here with my partner, Greg Rogers. We got two special guests with us today. We got Captain Rob Ramirez from last week's episode. Rob, how's it going?
1: Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me back. I'm doing great. Welcome, Rob. What's up, boys?
0: And we got a special guest. We got Jason Liska, the can man. He did 20 years in the fire service, active. He's a lieutenant. He's an instructor and he's on the Venom unit. And he's a state advocate for the National Firefighters Association. Jason, welcome.
2: Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It's always good to be with you guys. How's it going, guys? Two weeks, long two weeks. I'll, say, I'll tell you that right now. And and who thinks a pump-ops uh, is a good class to teach in the, the Florida, July and August, you know?
0: I hear you. Oh, hey, Lord. hey, before we get going, cheers, fellas.
2: Cheers. I'll add to mine later. Trust me. There might be something in here. There may not be. Who knows?
0: All right.
3: Hey, uh, Jason, I think trench is the only class worse than uh than doing pump offs in the summer and we're doing that one next week
2: see but i thought when you're below grade it's actually cooler you know i thought it was supposed to be better that way
3: there's only two guys that stay cool the rest of them are outside Oh,
2: yeah. No, no, no. no, no. The, the, the good thing is, you know, we we tested out our turbo draft. We're adding those to the department. So we put our recruits uh, at the helm yesterday to operate it. And we were doing multiple lines down by one of our big lakes. We have 1,300 of them, if I'm correct, in Lake County. And let me tell you, it was good. That was the nice part of the day. You know, it was getting cooled off by the, the, the nice lake water flowing back at you. All
3: right. Not too much engine stuff. I don't know if my crew's watching. Oh, always, we'll keep it, it
2: down. We'll keep it down. It,
3: They always give me a hard time about that. I'm that I do hose work now and all that. And I'm trying to stay away from it.
0: Knuckle grinding hose jockey, man. (laughs) (laughs) So what's going on, Rob? Hey, uh, you were a big hit last, uh, last episode, man.
1: Uh, I had a blast last episode. We got great feedback. I'm extremely happy to be back and completely humbled by the amount of people that reached out to us and commented on what we did. And in all honesty, it was unscripted. We, uh, we kept it real, kept it honest, and had a nice firehouse kitchen table talk amongst a couple of peers and old friends. And mine was a
3: uh, mine was a little different. I got nothing but negative feedback. Like, hey, how are you even friends with that guy?
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> just
3: mine. That's just mine. I'm not sure. If mine I was. Supposed to get... Mine
2: was. Where's the mustache? That's all I'm going to say. Why? Yeah, yeah. Just uh, why?
3: About a month. I'll be. I'll be back
1: in the game.
2: Well, I'm counting on that.
1: It's seasonal. <laughs> You can't do a
2: seasonal mustache.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So
0: Greg and I got together last week after uh, the podcast with uh, Rob, we were sitting there talking and uh, we wanted to bring up the topic of leadership. So I wanted to bring on you, Jason. I wanted to bring back on uh, Rob just because I feel that both you guys have a lot to, to give, uh, in the leadership aspect of, of the fire service. Um, I feel that there's a lot of information that we could be giving, whether it's a brand new fireman to a, a chief leadership goes up and down that uh, up and down that chain. And uh, with that being said, Greg and I were sitting there, we, we were talking and we we're like, you know what, let, let, let's get these two guys on and we're going to do the same thing that we did Uh, two weeks ago with Rob, we're just going to have unscripted talk and, uh, we're going to bring up some of the points. Um, I know all of us talked about it. We all have some good things that we want to bring up and, uh, looking forward to it, man. And I, on behalf of Greg and myself, man, we truly appreciate you guys coming on and and spending time with us.
2: Absolutely, brother. You know, it's always a pleasure.
3: Thanks for having us. Yeah. So, so Herb and I talked about it too. And like I said, I got some notes in front of me here, so I'll be looking down here and there. A couple of things I want to hit, but it's kind of like we'll just go with the open forum, but you have your organizational chart, and I think it all breaks down to accountability versus responsibility, and that's that's kind of where we go with everything. Like I know I'm a captain of the department I'm at, and I couldn't ask for a better crew, but then again, there comes a time where they put me in check whether I think I need it or not. And I think that's good. And that keeps me on my toes because it's like, if they're talking to me, then they're coming at me like that. Like maybe I need to look at what I'm doing. Maybe I need to reflect a little bit. And it's happened a few times and you know, brothers and sisters, you hash it out a little bit, you bang heads and then we're back in the game, get a good fire or something like that. And then we're high-fiving again.
2: You know, the cohesion you talk about, you know, we're a family first and foremost. Okay, that that's the premise of the fire service. You know, we're a family uh, that lives together for a third of our lives. You know, people don't understand that in some cases until they get like five, 10 years in their career. And they realize why I've been with these same people every third day of my life. And, you know, their families, you know, their personal lives, you know, them as employees, In some cases, as your subordinates, as a term, you know, as a leader would say, you know, not just your partner, but you, you do have to be the boss at times as well. And the important thing to remember is, and you talked about it, and it's good to be put in check, and and that goes along with being able to empower your crew to do that because a strong leader knows that they can't do everything right. You know, that's bottom line. You're going to screw up. You're gonna you're gonna piss off your crew, and you're gonna make mistakes in front of other crews, and. It's that defining moment how you respond to when your crew looks at you and says, Hey, Lou or Cap, you know, what was that? You know, and you you have to think about the impact of that statement. You could go two ways. You can act with hubris and you can act with pride and, and you can be neglectful, or you can listen to your crew and take that message and try to restructure the purpose behind it.
0: That's right, it. Good. What uh what's your take on that, Rob? Uh,
1: Uh, I'm going to just go ahead and add to what Jason said. I completely agree with the the way he's actually approaching this question. Uh, Even what Greg just mentioned, uh, the fact that you're able to have that 360 feedback with your crew members, that comfortability to be able to have them talk to you and tell you, listen, Cap, this is how I feel about what just went down, or have them pull you aside and ask you, why would you do this versus that? That's something that gets built over time. It's a two-way street. Uh, built on expectations, ownership, and the fact that they trust you, and that doesn't come with a bugle.
3: Mm-mm.
1: Just because you be a, you, you make company officer doesn't make you a company officer. No, I and agree. That's the premise of all of that.
3: I agree,
2: absolutely. And you know, case in point, I've got a tight crew at my house. You know, we have a young guy; he's twenty two years old. It's his first fire service job. He's one of the best probies I've ever had. He floats out of my house. My partner's got twenty years on. We both came from Chicago, got a lot in common. We're best friends. We've got a great EMS crew. Um, One of the partners that I have on the EMS side, you know, came from the department I grew up in in my early days of my career. So I identify with him and understand his role. And, you know, it's a struggle when you switch departments mid-career, you know, that there's culture shock there. and, And that was one of the things he had to adjust to. And You know, some of the things that I saw and overreacted about in times, and that's another thing to take in point. How often can we be capable or how often are we capable of overreacting as officers instead of taking a deep breath and absorbing that situation instead of responding in a negative manner? And I'm guilty of it. I jumped his, uh, you know, proverbial, you know what, because he was pulling his car out in front of the station to wash it. Instead of just going out and saying, listen, let's do this after hours in the dark behind the station, whatever, not at 8, 30, 9 o'clock in the morning. I don't care if it's a Saturday, you know, and, and I upset him, you know, and I could tell and, you know, this is a person who I've grown attached to. And about an hour later, you know, the person came to me and said, hey, Lou, can we talk about what just happened? Because you kind of pissed me off. And I realized what I had done. And I had to step back and reflect on that moment because I chewed the wrong ass for the wrong reason when I could have handled it differently.
1: I'll go ahead and add to that, Jason. Uh, reflection is a huge part of leadership. Yeah. Uh, we have to be able as leaders to reflect on our actions and the consequences thereof.
0: Uh, Most I'm, definitely. I'm in a
1: constant, I'm in a constant state of uh, sometimes overanalyzing every conversation, every action. I'll lay down in bed at night at the firehouse and I'll go through my ups and downs. Like how do I handle that call? How do I handle that situation? How do I handle handle that mm-hmm. conflict? How how did I handle being challenged by another company officer? Oh. And and, and I'll sit there and I'll go through that. And, and there, it's just like a fire. How many fires have you gone to that you don't want back? Almost none. Every single fire I've gone to, I've wanted something back. We got a second shot at it to do it better. And, well, and I, th- I think that that's a strength amongst company officers that are they're actually uh, introspective and reflective of their actions and consequences. So
3: I agree. I I, I think that's a good thing too because um, I, uh, I I like to talk. I talk to my crew and I, and the crew that I have now and even before because I moved a couple different houses. I like to empower them with what they're doing, training, showing the new guy, the senior man. I mean, we all know the senior man actually runs the house. We just get right. the ass chewing when things yep. go wrong. Yep. So, but that's okay. I, I understand that because that's a strong role that they have. But I think when you have a good gelling crew, so to speak, you get that tactical rhythm, that tactical rhythm carries over on calls, carries around in the house. And then, If there's something that we're not sure we really want to do, you can kind of talk to your crew and say, hey, what do you think? Yep, They'll give you your feedback. And then if it's something that you're not quite sure and you know you're going to be the one that's kind of get your ass chewed or whatever, then I'm going to make the decision. But other than that, I want their feedback.
2: And, you know, you talk about taking the hit for the crew and I'll take a page out of Jocko Willenick's book, any one of his books. All right. He talks about the fact that accountability and 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 Kat, you talked about this earlier, you know, the importance of accountability versus responsibility. It's one thing to, you know, have that responsibility put on you, but are you accountable for that? So when your team fails, right, what happens? Your team tends to get, you know, they, they get upset because they think you're going to be mad at them and they're worried about the fallout that's coming from above. And a good leader knows that they got to shield them from that fallout that fallout comes down on them and it shouldn't be reflected on them in the same fashion it should be an opportunity and you do the hot wash concept you listen to what your boss tells you and you know you guys screwed up we got to fix this what happened well most cases the error came from that's not necessarily the crew but the leader and the leader has to be understanding of that and reflect on where did i fail and how did i not deliver the messaging to get this tactic done or this approach done on the scene
0: no, I definitely agree with you on that, Jason. And uh, but but you hit on a point that I think a lot of company officers, whether seasoned or brand new company officers, they get the bugle and they automatically think that, you know what, I'm the end all be all. I know everything. And when I fuck up, I'm not willing to to own up to it because how could I fuck up? I'm I'm the boss they're, they're I'm not fucking up. Mm. I think when me personally, I feel as when you're a leader and you take the accountability and you say, okay, you know what? I fucked up and you reflect on it and you show your guys, Hey, look, I messed up. Your guys start buying into what you're selling because they're like, you know what? He's not just yelling, screaming, doing all that nonsense. He's willing to acknowledge what he messed up on. And I think that's a big part of what some company officers lacking.
2: I, I think that if you look at it from a perspective and and if I were to show you my HR file, all joking aside, my career is a litany of fuck ups. Okay. Um, You know, at one point I should have been fired from my department and, and literally my chief was pushing me out the door and I deserved it because I, I failed to rise. And this was in the transition to the next department. And there were factors there where I lacked onus and accountability. And there were people there that impressed upon me at the very last minute, that zero hour, you know, you gotta be accountable for what you do. And because of that, you know, I, I reflect on this when I've talked to these recruits, this, that, you know, the past two weeks I've had them, you know, I opened up the first day in apparatus ops and I said, you know, we're going to discuss who you are. You know, we're going to talk about where you came from and your experiences, because part of that is an understanding of who you are. And when they said, this is who I am, I said, OK, cool. Let's talk about where I came from a little bit, not to show be boastful or anything. But I wanted them to understand that, you know, the H.R. file is this thick. And if you wanted to go look at it, you could, because honestly, I shouldn't be sitting here today with a bugle on my collar. But someone gave me that opportunity because they impressed upon me accountability and onus. And so here's that mentorship. This is where I can turn around and say to you, look, I fucked my career up 30 ways to Sunday. And here I am six years later wearing a bugle and able to lead in that right seat. And I can still make mistakes and still recover from that and still be able to give you guidance and and give you some tools to succeed better than me, you know?
3: Hey, I'll take that challenge on the uh, human resource file, though.
2: You want to go for it? Yeah, yeah. You want to go tit for
1: tat?
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: All right, I mean, I'm like, if you can get a, an exact measurement, okay. So add two to this, right? This is about where I'm at at the moment, okay. Okay, cool. So you got a you got a novel, you got Odyssey going on there. I've got like a, an Ernest Hemingway going on, okay.
3: But it's funny. It's funny though. You uh, you nailed it. And like I said, I could sit here and tell you, oh, it wasn't it. It wasn't me. There was a few that I took to heat for other people. Damn straight. Which, which that was that was the job. There's other times where I was out of line. And I took it on the chin, and that's the way it is, and that's how you do it. But, what, I mean, we all, we're all type A personality. You know what I mean? We all want to be right. We got our egos and all that. Going back, I think I learned um, to be a pretty decent company officer, not from having a great mentor, but working for somebody that was not great, knowing that I was not going to be that guy.
2: Yep. Why do that's some cool. people become lieutenants? Because they don't want to be like the guy that led them. You know, and that's a big motivator too. And motivation, good and bad, you know, it's it has it has an ability to resonate with us in a lot of ways. When you see bad leadership, and and again, you look at that and you're like, well, this guy could definitely be better. And how could I be better than him? And, and that's something I think people need to strive for. I want people to be better than me. I'm Absolutely. a schmuck with a great mustache. I'm not a perfect officer, man. I Let me tell you something. There, there are days I'm like, damn, I don't deserve to wear this bugle. But you know what? I'm proud to wear it, and I'm proud to stand in front of these people and serve my community and serve my crew. It's a, it's an honor to do that, and it's an honor to reflect on the on the years of experience and the career that I've had to be able to sit here with you guys today and share this with you all, you know?
3: And I think that's the goal, too, man, to make uh, – like. I want everyone to promote out of promote out of my house. I want everybody to be able to do every job in front of them. And I think that's key and that that you want them to be better than you like you said. That's yeah, the goal great. where you can't control them anymore. And we yeah, do the same great. thing when we teach. We do the same thing. We want we we always make the joke like today you're a little nervous on the first day, but by the end of the week you're going to be so good and know this stuff so well that we're not going to be able to control you and we're just going to stand back and drink coffee.
2: Kind of an inspiring moment there with enthusiasm and a little pride and ownership and a little drive to succeed. That all goes hand in hand with leadership in a way, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's there's days you sit back when everything works out and the plan comes together and all your investment comes to fruition. And you're like, holy shit. You had that proud dad moment where, you know, I'm a small part of their progress and their success. You get two or three guys promoted out of your firehouse. I mean, that's true leadership pride. You know, the amount of number, how many leaders are we creating not how many followers i know it's cliche but it's so true uh the, um it, it's, it's, an, it's a it's running joke where we're at you know uh where how many guys get promoted from such and such shift or such and such a uh, platoon in your case you know how how are they doing why are they doing it? it it comes down comes down to the fundamentals of the leadership who's that yeah. guy up top controlling the pendulum and how far the swing in the bottom you know the more you move it up top the greater swing you're going to get in the bottom and and the greater effect you're going to have to everybody underneath you or and and it's just a beautiful thing to watch when it all comes together
2: absolutely and and it's it's like you said that proud dad moment when you can stand there and and my battalion chief it had that moment with our outgoing battalion chief that he he replaced and earned that right to do so and it was it was a proud dad moment for the battalion chief who was retiring after thirty years who was handing that white helmet over and that crossed bugle con, you know that crossed bugle uh you know uh, uh, the pin and the badge and and it was like you were trained by me I showed you how to take my place and here you are today and, and my battalion chief is is a phenomenal man and someone I respect. He was my peer just six years ago, you know, before he became a lieutenant. And, and now he went from lieutenant to battalion, and he did that through the mentoring and, and, of course, the guidance. And that proud dad moment was shared on stage, and it was a great moment to watch, you know.
1: That's awesome.
0: Hey, so, Rob, I got a question for you, and uh, it's going to segue into another question for, for us as a whole.
2: Hey, before you go further, I just want to let you know I got uh, that typical South Florida weather in the north central area here. So if you lose me. I'll come back in as quick as i can
0: just in case it's all good buddy we're used awesome. to it hey rob so what what are some of the pointers that that you could give to the guys on setting expectations for your crew what, what are some of the things that that you found that works over
1: time oh well, i'm no expert and I'm, and I'm just happy to be here and, I, and i'm being honest i'm not trying to be extremely humble or anything i'm leadership is a learning process and it's a lifelong process you have to be a, lo- a lifelong student of the game and I honestly and genuinely believe that. Um, as far as expectations, it, that's a word that gets thrown around a lot in every leadership class you ever sat through. Uh, expectations are a two-way street. Uh, mm-hmm. Your members have to have expectations of you. You have to have expectations of your members. Uh, that's the day one process, day two process. Maybe sit around and watch them for a week and then set, have a formal sit-down and talk about expectations. That's all fine and dandy, uh, but you have to keep the expectations realistic. And, uh, and, and with realistic expectations, come accountability to yourself. Uh, what are their expectations of me, and am I, am I able to meet those expectations? Do I agree with those expectations as their leader, as their company officer, as their servant, their problem solver? Uh, those expectations are a two-way street. I believe is extremely important um, for the entire time you're going to be assigned to that company or you're going to have that comp- those members assigned to you to have clear and defined and concise expectations of each other. And realistic in the sense that you're going to be able to meet them and you expect them to meet yours. You also have to be fair and um, balanced. Uh, I have a battalion chief. He spoke about battalion chiefs earlier, Jason, that um, he preaches 98.6 degrees leadership. Mm -hmm. You got to keep it constant. Not too hot, not too cold. Can you keep that 98.6 degrees every time you come to work? Uh, That's my goal. Every day I go to work, 98.6 degrees. Walk away from situations that I want to react to. Those knee-jerk situations, I walk away from them, try to keep it 98.6 degrees and come back to them after I've I've given them some time and intellect and some conscious mind, uh, mindful thinking. Uh, As far as expectations, uh, Herb, honestly, set them early. They set the groundwork for common communication, common language. They set the groundwork for when that member does fall out of expectations, the conversation gets picked up from that point forward. You don't have to start from scratch. You're starting from first base already. You you said it expectations are A, B, and C. Okay, you failed at B six months down the line. Let's talk about that. We talked about this day one. Where, why do we fail? <laughs> what can we do to prevent that? And let's come up with a solution together to keep that from happening again. Whether that solution is, I failed you because I lacked input, we lost common ground somewhere, or we, we require more time and investment into the solution. Let's do it together. And But if you don't set those expectations early day one, week one, month one, uh, then you have no, you're all going to be starting from the bottom. You have no foundation to build off of as a company officer, as a leader, as a supervisor with a member or subordinate. And I don't like to use the word subordinate, but, you know, that's what that's um that's what the term is. when we, uh you know, you go down to the books and, and the literature, but uh, expectations are a two way street. Keep them realistic. Keep them simple. Make sure you can follow them. Make sure you can stick to them. And um, they're so important because when they do fall out of uh, expectations or something happens, you have somewhere to build from and and fix the problem from there. Otherwise, you're starting from the bottom every time and you're always behind uh, the eight balls, a company, and the leader.
0: Absolutely. I mean, how many times have, especially when you were newer in your career, you go to a new house and you go there, the officer doesn't even talk to you, doesn't tell you. And, and, and that's that old school mentality of, hey, look, don't talk to me. Well, that, that's not that's not efficient. You need you to sit your guys down and let them know. Hey, this is what I expect of you. But in the same token, what do you expect from me as your company officer? What What do you want me? What do you expect me to do for you? Is it Are you looking for me to help you get uh, pump operator trained? Are you looking to get hazmat certified? You're looking to get TRT certified. You're looking to become a paramedic. What What is it that I can do to help you? achieve what you're looking for but in the same time i need to you need to understand my expectations of you and i and i feel as if company officers do that more often with everybody in the crew even if it's your senior driver sit down maybe once a year hey am i meeting all your expectations
3: yeah, hey, the, yeah. the the eval when you do your annual eval is a perfect time hey what this is what we did in the past. What are we going to do going forward? Mm-hmm.
0: And, exactly. and
3: <laughs> so one of the, the, the
2: I'm going to, I take it to a simple place for me personally. And, and number one, I treat it as if the culture of the fire service. And, and let's say this, okay. The expectations are set in training day one. You walk in, you meet your training officers, your cadre, and who's going to mold you to get ready to go to see your, your crew, your Lou and everybody else in six, eight, 12 weeks, whatever. They set expectations right then and there for you. So when you get through that recruit process and you're put in the station, the first expectation I have and really the only expectation I have of that person is to have a good attitude, number one. okay. And I think if you tell them a good attitude will allow you to succeed and fail at an equal level almost, that – You don't have to worry about being, you know, put down for not doing everything perfect. You don't have to worry about missing an opportunity to excel. This is a learning process in that first year, right? So you have a good attitude. We can work with that. You know, we can make things happen. We can correct and course correct where we need to. So that's my expectation for my crew, my new guys when they walk in the door. Just have a good attitude. We can work with the rest. Now, here's the dynamic aspect of this, though. As they're I need to know them. I need to understand them. So their expectations matter. And those expectations are fluid, they're dynamic, and they're going to change because day one expectations they have will not likely be the same at six weeks or 10 shifts or 20 shifts after they've been with you because you might've exceeded their expectations. Now they have new expectations. So you got to keep them hungry and you got to keep them engaged. And so one of the things I like to do is find out what their goals are. All right. What do you want to do? You know, what are your expectations of your career? Cause this is where I can help you. You want to go to college. You want to go to paramedic school. You want to get your FO one FO 2 go teched out, whatever. Let's set a plan. Let's give you the path because it's not that most of them don't want to, they just don't know how to. And there's a lot of people out there that wear that bugle or bugles that don't take the time to show them how to get there. And that's, important for us to do as a company officer is the person running that crew. You got to, you got to make sure their expectations are constantly fluctuating in that aspect. So they're always hungry to do something different.
3: Yeah, I agree completely. Um, so I was in a little, so let me add something here. I was in a little unique situation to where we had some new guys come on. One of our guys got deployed. Um, so he only did like eight to 10 days in training when he came back, they said, Hey man, he's on your shift. So I didn't know this for about two shifts that he had didn't have all the training. And I went up to him. And one of the first things I hit on is RIT. Like, Hey man, do you know how to operate the radio RIT? Cause this is kind of important. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I feel that our battalion chief uh, leans on us a little bit, the, the unit that I'm on and, and pretty much the house that I'm at. So he told me and my crew said, Hey, you know, he's only had like two weeks of training. So I was like, all right, stop the, stop the presses. Everything changes right now. So I had to go to him and I was like, all right, here's the deal. We're going to do task level stuff. And the task is going to be your, your tactical considerations that you have to use. So I had to make these real cool mnemonics and I had to grow up fast, so to speak, because I'm taking someone that doesn't know anything for the most part. And this first fire could, he may not even, he may not even know how to stretch a line or anything. So we, my, my crew probably did 70% of what really needed to be done, and then I did some behind-the-scenes stuff. But it was like tactical considerations, your abilities, your skills, your knowledge. Here's what I want from you. I need you to have a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, and that carries all the way up, all the way to the fire chief, down to the dude that's got eight days on, or girl, because we have another person that's doing the same thing. And then when we're teaching stuff, it's like, and, and I'll argue this with anyone. Search and rescue is the most important thing on a fire ground, period. That's why we're there. Everything else supports search and rescue. So I'm like, I need cause and effect rescue. So we're going to train on that. We're going to train hard. And then when all this is done, I need you to make sure you have operational clarity. Like you need to know my expectations. And if I'm not telling you, sit me down. Let me tell you. So that's where I, that's where we went. And then that made me, jumping forward, and now I have evidence-based leadership. So I have evidence showing that this is the way I need to do this. This is what's going to make me better or where I really screwed up for the most part. And crew, we all get together, we talk, they they teach me stuff that needs to be done and we push forward. And I think it was, I think it was priceless. I think we grew as a crew and we sent out a pretty good uh, firefighter to another station.
1: It's pretty awesome, uh, Greg. Uh uh, where, my situation, where I'm at right now, I'm starting my second bid cycle, uh, my second year with the company that I'm with right now as their captain. Uh, so, adding to what Jason said earlier, you can't. There isn't a cookie cutter approach to expectations. There is not that. There isn't any that worked. You have to cater to the individual and their hierarchy of needs. We're all human before we're firing. Mm-hmm. So, what does he need? Does he need attention? Does he need reassurance? Does he need to be over complimented? Do they need to be left alone? Do they need to be talked to when he's down? Do they need to to be given a minute and talk to him afterwards? Is it important for him to come to work and learn something every day on the fire truck or do they need to work on some paramedic thing? Um, And all that through relationships, communications, active listening, getting to know your members, getting comfortable with them and having those heart-to-heart talks uh, about what they're trying to get out of their career. Uh, My department doesn't have a uh, clear, defined uh, career path algorithm. There isn't anything that tells our members, uh, day one when you start, this is where you should be. Uh, Day 365, this is where we expect you. There isn't anything that looks like that. Uh, If you wanna be a driver, you gotta go this way. If you wanna be a lieutenant, you gotta go that way. If you wanna be a captain, go this way. So it's really up to the company officers to uh, know their members, understand their hierarchy of needs and and kind of focus their leadership style to them. So I, I spend a lot of time the first year getting to know my guys and establish those relationships through training, through trust, through conversation. Uh, and through that 360 feedback where I can talk to them, they talk to me. And and, and it's kind of hard to be a company officer and talk to guys and ask them where you messed up. What could I have done better? you know? We're all proud, alpha-type personalities. And, and to hear that something you did did not meet their expectations is not easy. But ultimately, it's making me better. And if I get better, they get better. And uh, so I couldn't agree more with what Jason said earlier. There isn't a cookie cutter or push expectations and setting them for your members. It's going to be dependent on the person and their and their human needs and what what actually, you know, lights their fire and, and, and creates passion and sparks that that fire in them to, like, want to get better. I have guys right now, I have two guys in my firehouse that this year, not last year, but this year they're going to go up to a Ocala and take a smoke diver class at the end of the year. So they're focused on training every day, three three four times a day in bunker gear. They got me out there with them. I wasn't doing that last year. I probably wouldn't be doing it if they weren't going to smoke divers, but that's what they need right now from me to support that journey. And in return, we're all getting better. I have another guy who's sitting for a driver's test. So every day he's out there pumping. He wasn't doing that last year. So I got to set time aside every day through the, through the battalion chief to get that truck pumped and gone through and, and go over with it, with him and have our drivers work with him. And, and again, as their hierarchies of needs change, their expectations of me change, and I got to be on the fly adapting, you know, Omaha and constantly, you know, Omaha and Omaha and Omaha and getting and, and adop, adapting to their, you know, their their needs so that I can not fail them as their leader.
2: So to add to that, and, and first, I want to tell your guys who are going to Smoke Divers, phenomenal program. I work at the Florida State Fire College. I got a lot of friends who teach that program, solid group of leaders. You know, some of my great mentors in this service came from the original Smoke Diver program. You know, it's a program that I even wish at one point I could, you know, do myself. Who knows, maybe at 45, that'll be my treat to myself. I might just try <laughs> to see what happens, right? I'm 43 now, I got two years to plan. I got sure. several young friends that are going into it and, and I'm just enamored by, well, I'm in love with the concept of what they're doing with that program. And it's just how they're molding these professionals, these young firefighters to push themselves past their expectations and exceed their own limitations so that they can do their job. And I had Nate on a few months back before COVID hit. And, you know, we share a lot of similarities in our history, you know, with our, you know, careers and our ups and downs and failures. And one of his greatest successes was not not only regaining his footing back in his career, was going to smoke divers. And the first time failing in Georgia, then coming to Florida and passing. And now he's on the cadre and he's one of the finest guys I know. And I'm proud to say that I've had the chance to interview him and know him. And, and be his friend at times where I can sit down and if I need to pick his brain I can call him if I haven't talked to him for several months, say, hey, Nate, what do you think of this? And Basil Ibrahim and all those guys, phenomenal leaders. Now, to go back to what you originally said, everything you said about handling crew matters is the most basic level of human resource management. I want you to think about that statement for a second. Company officer, you are at the bottom level of human resource management. You're learning how to be an administrator from day one, whether you succeed or fail on day one, it doesn't matter. You're gonna learn, and that's how it's gonna build to the point where one day you might be a fire chief at the head of the food chain, but you had that lesson learned moment at the most basic level of human resource management as a company officer.
1: Absolutely. It makes total sense, I and mean, that's what we are. We are we're actually managing, you know, human beings, and their and their needs, and making sure they're successful because of our actions or our support of their needs.
3: Hey Rob, when those uh, when those people finally got to know you, did they still like you, or how'd that
1: work? It's a work in progress. It's like, I'm an acquired taste, like whiskey. Yeah, yeah, I, do, I know I, the feeling. Little... I mean, are I know those the, ears I know are the acquired Taste?
2: Of... I'm just asking those years. They're an acquired taste, right? Just curious. Those satellite oh, yeah. dishes. That's yeah, good.
0: Yeah. They're good. <laughs> hey, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw another question at you, Rob. It's uh,
3: he's picking on you, man.
0: No, nah, Rob. Rob touched on it, so so it, it's a good subway to, to keep going. And you talked about investing in in your guys, but just investing in your guys, but also, how does that how does that in turn go into investing in yourself and, and, and showing those guys that, Hey, look, I don't just have the bugle. I'm, I'm also a student of the game as well.
1: Um, I, I have a great example of that. Herb. Uh, so I'm not a, uh, again, a cookie cutter type of leader at all. My strength is relationship building. That's my strength. That's what, that's how I, I've, it's taken me 40 years to realize how come I'm successful in this gig. Like, I, I, I pretty much suck at everything else I've done other than this job. So, and it comes down to relationship building. You know, I get along with people and I love fire me. And uh, I've learned to create a strength-based uh, leadership approach, approach, focusing on my relationship with people, understanding their needs, and then investing in myself. Uh, I'm passionate about the job. I believe in being a lifelong student. You guys have been teaching with me all over the place for the last 10, 15 years. And I believe that in order to create a relationship with your subordinates or the guys that are assigned to you, they need to trust you. And what better form or reason to trust someone than the fact that they're fully invested into something that you're doing, A, and B, watching them sell out to the gig that you're doing with them. This is your boss you're talking about. And understanding that I want to be the best I can for them to keep them safe and to make them successful. So if they see that I'm all in and I'm a lifelong student and I'm their quote unquote boss and I'm working on creating relationships with them, it's gonna build a form of trust there where you know what? Uh, They know that I'm gonna be all in all the time when it comes to the job and the X's and Y's and uh, that strength and that passion and that investment in myself ultimately ends up in my members trusting me and, and creating a better relationship so that you know, they do what I need them to do because they want to do it, not because I'm asking them, you know.
0: No, I could not agree more on that one. And I also think it's it shows when something as simple as you being a leader, you're taking a class. And, and and I'm not talking about a BS. Uh, fluff class where, where you get a little certificate, you throw it in your file and and, and that's it. I'm talking about when you're taking a class to better yourself and your guys see that, especially the younger guys they see, oh look LT caps over here taking classes. it shows that hey, he's part of the crew and and the one thing that we don't want to lose is being part of the crew and you see it so much I mean the four of us travel and and, and we teach all over is. The common thing is always the 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 brass always loses touch with the guys. They go in their office, they sit there, and they're totally disconnected with the crew. And I truly think that when you disconnect with your crew, that is the biggest downfall in that firehouse at that time.
3: Well, to, to, to add to that, when, when you say new guys too, when you say coming up, So I'm not going to say any names, but we had we had a guy that basically got hired with me and he made captain and he was like, hey, man, super humble. Herbie actually worked with him for a while, super humble and said, hey, man, I want to see what I can do. I want to I want to help out. I need I need a little bit of uh, a little bit of guidance now that I'm a boss. So he went down to the Fort Lauderdale Fire Expo, came in, did his thing, watched kind of how other guys were instructing watched some of the hose work, watched some of the ladder work, Um, followed us around just to kind of see how we interacted with people and all that and picked up a bunch of pointers. And to this day, he still says, Hey man, that was a good time. I really appreciate that. I learned a lot. And that wasn't just from us. That was just kind of like, Hey, come on. I mean, you know how it is. There, there's some, you know, Salzano does a great job down there on that program. And when they get it together, I mean, it's, it's awesome. And we had, just tons of people and they were talking to them, taking them under their wing and all that kind of stuff. And that Fort Lauderdale program was, was awesome. And, uh, th- we pretty much can say Herb and I can say that we put somebody in the right spot to make them a good office, or at least start to go that direction.
0: It's uh, so you, you, you take your, understanding of people and and everyone needs to to evaluate the person before you just listen to everybody else and this guy went as far as he had a captain shield on his helmet he had the tetrahedrons on there he goes look i'm not here to be babied i'm here to learn he took his helmet shield off took his helmet shield off
3: that's right i forgot about that wow
0: and literally put it in his truck And I was like, Hey cap, what are you doing? He goes, look, I'm not a cap. He goes, I'm a student. He goes, I need to learn. He goes, and I'm here to learn. He goes, I don't want anyone giving me respect. He goes, I'm a grunt. I need to learn what I got to learn. And till this day, I have the utmost respect for that guy for what he did.
3: And in that, in that same program, he taught me a lot too. You know, you, everything that's going on at the, at the training, you, you already got a grasp on it. You've been there a couple of years, you know how it operates, you know, the guys you're working with, you know, we're going to try to push the envelope, but I learned a lot. I learned how to be humble from that, from that day. I mean, and I I thought I was, but when I saw that, I was like, bro, that's heavy. That's, that's good stuff right there. So I I really appreciate that. And like I said, I think he made, I think he made me, a better instructor to talk to people in front. I think I kicked it up a notch right there or down or however it works. But I think I, I think it's probably, is it up? Always up. All right. It's always up. All right. So I kicked it up a notch there and I felt like, all right, you know, that's cool. I I, I can use this. Love if he, it, if
2: he had that effect
1: on you guys. I'm sorry. Yeah.
2: No, Jay. No, no, no. Listen, I want to hear what you got to say. Definitely. I was, trust me, go ahead. I'll follow up.
1: I'm um, just going to, I was just going to say that if he had that effect on you guys, Imagine the effect he has on his members that are watching him go through the program. Here you are, company officer, senior guys, and you're watching this colleague of yours, your peer, go through that program. And now you're sitting here a year or two later talking about how that impacted you and made you a better instructor. Think about the junior member in his company watching that. Yeah. What an impact. What a great opportunity.
2: Yeah. It goes in with remembering where you came from. Where would you be without that bugle? Who were you before you had that bugle or those two bugles or three or four, whatever you're, you're, you're wearing at the time? And, you know, people often change when they get that bugle, sometimes for the worse, sometimes for the better. It just depends on the personality, right? And, and, and your captain in that case, he showed who he was. He showed that his reflection is I'm a member of the fire service. Now, today I'm not a captain. Today I'm a student. I'll be a captain when I go back to shift. You don't have to honor me. You don't have to respect me. Teach me. Don't treat me different. I want to know what it's like to experience this for what it is so I can take the real experience back to my guys. I don't want to be treated special. And that's important because that's the only way he was going to learn out of that class. He wasn't going to learn if you guys catered to him. Hey, Cap, can I do this? Hey, Cap, can we take this and you know maybe do this easier for you? No, you've got to make sure that if you're walking into that class as a red helmet, a white helmet. That's an awesome example. It's a great representation of a leader right there.
1: I read somewhere that the biggest obstacle to adult learning is self-importance and pride. If You can learn to put those two things aside. You'll be just a success, a successful at learning as kids are in elementary school. They have no sense of self-importance and pride. But you give us a bugle. You give us you know, 40 years of life experience. What the hell is this guy going to teach me? You know, no. a lot of that happens.
2: Yeah, it does unfortunately. And 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 yet here's the thing we talk about the career side of our service where we have people in the hierarchy of, of the time and service, you know, and we honor that time and service because those 20 and 30 year guys do have something to share and something to give. But you also have to understand that leads into succession planning too. And you got to prepare those 10 and 15 year guys. And those 10 and 15 year guys got to prepare the five year guys, and those five year guys got to prepare the one year guys to get ready to take over for them. And it's it's a cyclic process. You can't stop. You got to make sure that you accelerate each level. You got to get every level engaged at one point or another.
3: To add to, add to that, too, I, I read a quote not too long ago. I don't know what it was on, but it said, uh, and, "And I, I feel as like the way that you know you're you're promoting ten and twelve guys at a time, and you're kind of getting there, and you may not be getting the best person at the end, or someone that's just like, whoo, I made it now I can relax.' But it, the quote was. Good enough isn't anymore. And I thought that was like that nailed it as far as like the officers, um, even the firemen, you know, they squeak in, hey, I made the job. I made past my year probation or six months or whatever the probation is. And now they can just coast. And I feel that that's such a fallacy these days.
2: Well, like anybody we, can pass a test. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Anybody can pass the test. You know, I, I scored, and in, in, I think I was 10th or 11th on a list of like 12. Uh, you know, I, I scored near the bottom on my lieutenant's test. I'm not ashamed of that. Man, that's what it was. I, I didn't score the highest. I wasn't number one. I had nine years, in the eight years in, Put, not Putnam, I'm sorry, Lake County at that point. You know, so what? So what? I scored 11. You know what? I think that gave me opportunity to see what one through 10 was able to do in their time before I got promoted so then I could learn from them as well. You know, it didn't make me a worse leader to be eleven. No, I'm proud that I was eleven. At least I got promoted. It gave me an opportunity to fail and succeed. You know?
3: Yeah, it's it's what you do with it from there.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And trust me, day one, I was scared shitless when I became a lieutenant. I thought you just like when I became an EMT, when I became a paramedic, when I became a fireman, when I became a lieutenant. Trust me, man, I was scared every day. You're not prepared when you walk through that role in, into that role through that door.
3: Absolutely, and I think I think the lieutenant going from firefighter to lieutenant, I think that's the hardest transition in the fire department.
2: But the most my, important transition.
3: No, absolutely the most important it is. And then as a lieutenant, you have to realize you're the new boy in the officers, so now you have to drive and prove yourself up the ranks. I, I truly think it's one of the hardest transitions.
2: Well, that brings in the topic of motivating. And can you motivate a crew for the better or for the worse? And do we want to use the term motivating or should we talk about how we can inspire our crews? Because motivation can be a negative and and really a negative topic for many people, because you may think you're doing a good job motivating, but really you're failing your crew and you're pissing them off and isolating them. Yeah, I agree. You know, so how do you inspire your crew? And I'm going to ask you this, Cap, when you became an officer, all right. When you became a captain down in, 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 in high, uh, uh, Coral Springs, Cape, uh, not uh, that area. Correct. I, I want to yeah. make sure I got it right. Yeah. yeah south yeah. Florida.
1: North, North Broward,
2: North Broward. My apologies. Uh, I'm a Palm Beach County guy. You know, south yeah. of there, it's uh, it's all foreign to me, unfortunately, you know. But, you know, it, when you when, when you became when you became a captain. Right. What did you want to do for your cruise? You didn't know exactly. Right. You, I mean, you had a, an idea, but did Jay, you want to motivate I, I or inspire the- them?
1: I, I knew what I wanted to do. I had no idea how to get to it. I had plan A and plan Z, mm-hmm. but I had everything in between was missing. And right. I just knew that uh, some or somehow I need to figure that out. And there was no one ahead of me that taught me that. There wasn't a system in place. that said, this is what you got to do to get there. There wasn't a gap analysis process. There wasn't a uh, a dot connecting uh, algorithm. There was just people ahead of me that had gotten really, really good at shooting from the hip.
2: Yep. And, yep. Uh,
1: and through trial and error. And I just wasn't there yet, man. And I, and I couldn't agree with you more. I was absolutely terrified day one.
2: And let me ask you this. Did you feel like you wanted to take on the world and solve the world's problems as an officer when you got to that point? Because that seems to be a norm with a lot of new officers are like, well, I got this bugle. I'm empowered to take the world on. And what happens when you can't you can't solve every problem? Is that a discouraging factor, too, as a leader? Does that make you feel like you're not good enough? You can't fix the problem? or maybe set back and say hey maybe i can take these problems a little bit at a time and start working on these issues one at a time you know so trying to try take a, the world a learning by. Process.
1: It's so learning process i was uh i was fortunate enough to uh i made lieutenant back in 05 and then uh in 13 so i know I, I, I will be honest in 05 to like 13 i was that guy where i thought i can i had the world by the balls and i could figure everything out just come to me i'm obviously been in the fire service 5 years and i know everything
2: mm-hmm. but <laughs> you were a five and 60 not a two and 20
1: exactly I've been to three fire conferences and I can teach anything you wanted me to teach I'll be expert to take over the fire service expert level right? <laughs> but uh, right around 13 I went to uh, I went to administration and I, I became our fire department training officer and at that point from 13 to 18 I, I was I went through like a school of hard knocks as far as uh, uh, being told no mm-hmm. being shot down having ideas, and budgets cut every single day, twice a day for yeah. five years. Yeah, and and that was a huge learning process in, in organizational management and the, the way things work and why things are knocked down and how to get uh, how to communicate, how to start a project and end a project uh, the right way. And I believe that all those th- those entire five years of getting you know five six seven ten knows a day to ideas that I thought were ready to go, you know, in, you know canned ideas. I just need some money to make it happen and change the fire service forever, in my mind. Uh, that really prepared me for the, the, the next step, which was coming back to the floor and becoming a fire captain, uh, where now I, I have an external relationship and understanding of the way, uh, you know, things work behind the curtain, backstage, and then what needs to happen at our level as company officers, lieutenants and captains and senior members uh, to make that happen. So, yeah, once I made captain, I had a pretty good understanding of that. But I'll tell you, now: when I, when I first made Lieutenant in 05, I was that guy you just mentioned. Absolutely.
2: And tell me how that first no felt. And, and and think about that for a second before you answer. But tell me how that first no, hard no, felt to you, who felt empowered and ready and had that that ability through that leadership, through that bugle to take on the world. How did that first no impact you?
1: Uh, absolutely discouraging. Um Uh, In private, it made me angry. Uh, It made me feel like, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Am I getting the support I need from the people above me to be successful in this position? Uh, Why are they stopping me from doing something that I'm pretty sure will work and my members need? Do they not trust me? Did I not do enough to get to this position? Am I spinning my wheels here? Am I ever going to grab any traction? And um, I had senior members talk to me that had been through that already. Mm-hmm. And tell me, you know, like not to lose my footing and to keep putting one foot ahead of the other. And, you know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So, you know, take taking bites out of the elephant and eventually uh, you'll gain the trust and build the relationships to get these projects completed. And that took another five years, probably. I'm not going to lie.
2: And a no still hurts today, though, doesn't it? When you're really inspired by a project, but not not to the same aspect that it did when you first got that no, because you didn't have the comprehension like you discussed In that process, before I asked you that question, you went through every aspect of what you did from lieutenant to captain and how it made you better prepared to walk into that role with the two bugles. You know, it made you a better, it built your foundation essentially up. And that's something I like to share with new guys. You got to build a solid foundation to build up from. And if you can't do that, then you're not going to have a stable environment to work in. And you got to do that on your own. And that's through learning. That's through trial and error. That's through being told no. And trust me, I know was a bad word. And that's part of how I got myself in a lot of trouble because I was boastful, prideful. I was an asshole. All right. And I was someone that became resented and, and honestly, like I said, my chief said, you know what? My my next choice is to fire you. And, and that was one of the hardest things to hear. Thinking that I was going to lose my career and all I wanted to do was just trash it because I was so mad at the world, you know, as a fireman, because I thought I was at that level coming from eight years to the new department. I could do it all. And that wasn't a promotion. It was a lateral, but it's still, I wanted to ride on those accomplishments. I wanted to ride on those examples that I had from my experiences. And instead of learning the new way, you know, instead of learning the new path, I failed. And that almost cost me everything,
3: man, everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> let me, uh, let me fire a question to you guys here for a second. Um, the, uh, so with everything being said, like, like I hear you know what we've done, um, what company officers do. When I say we, I'm talking about all company officers probably have some of the same gripes. We just kind of tweak it the different way. What's, um, what do you think an evolving role of a company officer is like now? And what is it going to be as we go? And I'm not talking just like with the pandemic stuff. I'm talking about with the new personnel coming in, the new things we're going to take if we do cutbacks, if we add, you know, uh, what do you think our evolving role is going to be? Cause I always look at that like, all right, how am I going to make next year better and not necessarily be promoted? Because um, I pretty much think where I'm at right now is probably where I'll finish my career, but it's like, how are we going to, what are we going to do? How, how is it going to evolve? Just jump in anybody.
2: I I think, as I said earlier, you know, you've got to keep your expectations from your crews as dynamic, you got to set that to be a dynamic level of, uh, of needs. You can't just adhere to one set and, and follow it every time. Right. So that's first, right? So the other thing is, and, and, and again, man, You know, I'm proud of this. And and again, I'm sorry if I'm boasting. And again, take this for what it is. But it's it's taken a lot of hard work to get here. But I just finished my bachelor's. Right. And this is something I never thought I'd do in my career. 20 years ago, man, I said to myself, "Ah, college, who needs it? You know, fire service, we're knuckle grinding, knuckle, knuckle grinding hose draggers, bro. I mean, we don't need college to do this job. Well, guess what, man? I mean, as we grow, what do those fire officer classes get you ready for Those are all college level classes that set you up for an associate's degree. And you didn't realize it until you finished them that, hey, all you got to do is take nine, 10 classes in general ed. And guess what? That was your step to getting into the next level. And every class I took taught me something new about teaching and learning from people and how to deal with. And I say deal. That's a terrible word. But how to how to express myself to people and how to understand them better and and evolve with them in a sense. And I think that's where education outside of the service you've got to be able to broaden your horizons and look beyond the fire service in some cases to learn how to be a better leader because there are examples everywhere and all joking aside a college education is a prime example of that broadening of your horizons
1: yeah totally
0: agree go ahead herb Mm -hmm. i'm sorry no i definitely could agree on that i mean the days of education not being as important in the fire service when i got hired it was hey get get your fire one and two get get your emt get your paramedic and uh guess what son you're good to go those days are long gone it's uh it's all about education and as many of us here we've, we've all been you know what we're not doing it screw it it's stupid i i don't need to take it what what is that going to do for me but any bit of education that we can get is only going to benefit us. So I understand, and I I understand that our admin in our cities and our counties, they want us to get better. They want us to get more educated. So it's not a bad thing. And something as simple as, as a basic class within the fire service, that guys are, or apt to go to, listen, any piece of information and knowledge that you gain is only going to benefit you. It might not benefit you today. It might not benefit you tomorrow, but it's knowledge. You're going to store it in the back of your brain and it's there. You were exposed to it. So I'm not opposed to us getting more education within the fire service.
1: I uh, I was that guy. It's funny because I'm listening to you guys talk, and you and Jay, and I'm like, you know what? I'm, I was that guy, and it's fu- and it's and it's very actually reassuring to very reassuring to hear you guys say that that, you know, you felt the same way I felt coming up. Uh, I skipped on two captains tests because I refused to get an associate's degree. Mm-hmm. You can't sit in our department for a captain's test without an associate's degree, and it has to be sp- specific to either fire science or, and now they just added EMS. Yep. But uh, I skipped on those classes because I was so uh, internally bothered by the fact that there was so little focus on tactics and strategies and blue collar, you know, hose pulling, knuckle dragging, door forcing, and so much emphasis on go take an English and history class to get promoted for company officer that it created an internal struggle and took a war within me where I became stubborn and refused to take the test. I refused to go to school, and you know, finally, when it came around to do it, and uh, I'm working on a bachelor's degree now, and and I couldn't do both more. It's actually. You know, probably the best thing I've done for myself. I I, I I heard Jay earlier drop the word cyclic on a podcast. I wrote it down. Cyclic, very <laughs> verbose. I wrote down cyclic right here. It's on my pad right in front of me. And I put nice. Jay's very. I put Jay is very verbose. I wrote Jay right is very
2: there. verbose. Thank you. I wrote
1: that right on there. And That's my bachelor's degree at work right there, bud.
2: I I tell my guys, I'm the dumbest smart guy you'll ever meet. Just remember that. Okay. Dumbest smart guy. Simple as that, man. You know, it it is what it is. And I'm proud of you, man. And, and, And taking that step to a bachelor's is huge because you're about to get into a huge commitment with class load and the things that you're going to learn. 24 months it took for me to get my bachelor's nine months to get my associates. So you know, basically for the last almost three years, I've been in college. All right. You know, I'm 43. So I started college at 40 all over again. And I, I failed out miserably out of high school. I was in radio for a little while. I did this. I did that. You know, I wasn't, you know, engaged. And then the fire service was like, well, it's a lifelong pursuit in the blood. So I want to do this. Right. It didn't matter then to have that college. I mean, hell, there was very little need for it, but now it's a need. It's a definite need, and people want to see that. And if you look at any role outside of company officer, hell, some departments require an associate's just to get hired with them. Wow. You know, they want a, they want a two-year degree just to get hired. That's up here too, you know. And 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 that's a, a slap in the face right there to wake up. Maybe I need to go get an education. Those FO one classes have substance, and FO two classes have substance, and they all lead to something. Put the dots together and realize you're halfway there when you get those done. Just a matter well, of down.
3: and if you look at the big picture too, um, you're going in there, uh, you know, as a, as a fire department and you're trying to look for raises and you're looking for a little more, the people that are paying your bills and, and are paying you and the admin all they're going to be like, why do I want to pay these guys this amount of money if they just, you know, have a GED or they have a high school diploma? Like these guys need to be holding what the other people are holding as well and are just, city community county
2: no yeah absolutely there are hella good jakes that have geds and and high school diplomas and we don't want to ever discount them you know not everybody should be forced in the school and i'm going to make sure that gets out there too this is a personal decision if you want to evolve into leadership you really got to look at higher education i think that's where the takeaway is if you want to get beyond lieutenant An associate's degree should be bare minimum once you get into that role if you don't already have it. But if you want to go beyond that, you really need to consider your options because that's really the only way to succeed and understand the dynamics of leadership at that level.
0: Well, before we uh, transition to some of the questions that have been popping up, uh, with, with what you just said, Jason, not everyone is cut out to be a company officer. And with that being said, I'm not telling anyone to not strive for it, don't go for it but not everyone is cut out to be a company officer. Not everyone's cut out to be a brain surgeon. We need great firemen. We need great engineers. There's a ton of jobs in the fire service that you can do and you can be phenomenal at. It does not mean that you have to get a bugle on your chest to be a great fireman and you do not need to run to try to get promoted as quick as possible. Take the time, sit back and actually, Realize that being a fireman is the best job in the world. Yeah. Riding on the hydrant seat, riding on the tailboard is the best job in the firehouse. Oh, that and, and I'm sure the three of you guys will not disagree with it. Not at all.
3: I'll yeah. have to say, I'll have to say the driver is probably the best position. So
2: there are friends that'll say driver, there are friends that'll say company officer, and then obviously those that say that back seat's where I want to be. And you know, we're 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 a two-man department in some most stations, right? And and we're luxury, it's a luxury to have a third guy. And, and so when that full crew co- full crew cohesion is there, you got all three personalities like, well, maybe I want to be you one day. I want to drive this truck, or maybe I want to sit in that right seat. So it's kind of cool when you have that dynamic, but when it's you and your partner, it's like my partner's very happy sitting in that left seat. He likes that driver role and he's the senior guy. So he, like you said, Greg, he runs the show. My guy runs the show. I'm, you know, you look at a seal team. It's not the Lieutenant that runs the show. It's the master chief. You let the master chief handle business. The Lieutenant sits back and says, yep. All right, good advice. We'll do it. But he's the decision maker at the end of the day that has to put the seal of approval on it. But you let your senior man handle the business. And that's important.
3: Absolutely. I think the, I think the senior man is a, is a vital Vital part of any firehouse, any community like so I know Herb's probably going to roll his eyes a little bit. But uh, one of my one of my close friends, uh, Danny Barron, worked in New York on Rescue 5. He gave me this idea. I told him, I was like, hey, man, I'm going to a new house. I'm going to Tech Rescue. The crew's pretty squared away. Um, you know, they're going to be tweaked a little bit here and there and we're going to get together. And he said, let me give you a point. He said, get a little round table, like a little wire spool. He goes, make that a table, put it in the bay. He goes, and that table that is in the bay, that's ran's got some chairs around it. He goes, anyone can sit at that table, but you're there's no rank. You're open to get beat up, whatever. But the thing is, the senior man runs that table. So when something needs to be done with the crew, they're gonna ask the officer to leave. Hey man, do you mind you mind going checking your paperwork for a second, Cap? No problem. You leave, and then the senior man takes over and he runs the house. Ours just fell off a little bit. It used it, it had it had good teeth when it started, but um, I want to say it fell out now. You know, everyone just kind of leaves their coffee cups and checks the saws on it now. But it's uh, <laughs> I've been I've been dying to get that back going, especially now since we have new rotation, new personnel coming through the station. That I think it's it's just a vital part of especially being a special ops crew, but any firehouse across the country
2: you know and and going back to herb's question and thought and and this is an important one and and you talk about chasing that bugle you know you get guys and girls coming to this profession 18 19 20 years old they're eligible in four to five years in most cases to become a lieutenant and and that's an important role i mean it takes a lot of maturity it takes a lot of understanding And, and in some cases they do the bare minimum like we've talked about to get to that role they just take the classes they don't take the time to learn they work at slow stations they don't get a lot of fires they're not prepared you know my friend uh you know Chief Ludwig who who went into the fire service in St. Louis at 18 years old at 20 he became a lieutenant wow. in St. Louis 43 years in this profession at 18 he he enters at 20 he becomes lieutenant you think and he even tells you he'll tell you in his books he'll tell you in person I was not ready at 20 years old to be a company officer but is a 24 year old ready is a 23 year old is a 33 year old ready when is that time when is that right time to promote and 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 if you're chasing it Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe you're chasing it for the wrong reasons. You got to think about what you're going to accomplish, man. You, you trust me. You got to accept the fact you're going to be imperfect. You're going to fuck up. You're going to be a bad Lou some days. You're going to be a great Lou others, and you're going to have to accept that. But if you can't, you can't accept that maturity, that level of accountability that we've been circling around all evening, then you're not going to be a good Lou. You got to admit you're going to fail. You got to admit you're going to let your guys down. You got to admit you're going to let yourself down. And I do it all the time, man. I am not immune to it. Trust me. But that's something that I think is individualistic. It's something that each individual needs to evaluate before they take that next step to leadership. Because that bugle doesn't mean you're better. It just means you got more responsibility. That's all it is. And you got to be responsible and accountable. Back to what Rob said earlier. Well, yeah, uh, uh,
1: I I wish that rat race. and, and, And I don't know if I'm right or wrong. And I don't know what your personal experiences are. But that rat race to promote is such a Florida centric thing. I feel like it's uh, cutthroat. It, 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 it's, it's so bad. I think it is. And, 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 and I may be striking nerves when I say this, but uh, the, 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 the EMS fire mix, the fact that you can promote and get off the ambulance uh, causes that rat race down here for guys to get off that bus as fast as possible and get on a fire truck. if they promote. And that's just my experience in South Florida. Anytime I travel and I meet company officers and elsewhere outside the state, um, there isn't that rat race, that that hurry to promote right now, today, today, today. Uh, Year four, I need to be a lieutenant. Year six, I need to be a captain. Year 10, I want to be a chief. That's such a South or Florida thing in my experience. I completely agree. agree. It's a Florida
2: thing. It's a Florida thing. And then, okay, so let's piggyback on that. Let's look at New York, Boston. Let's look at Chicago. The lieutenants in those services, you know, they're probably 15-year guys, 20-year guys before they get promoted in some cases, you know, 10-year guys on the low end. They're not five-year guys all the time. You know, that can happen. But, you know – the 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 show we used to watch in in the early years you know when it was all about the firefighters the firehouse show that was on tv and you look at some of those guys that they showcase they put the name across you know i've got 20 years experience well you know i just became a lieutenant last week you got 20 years you just became a lieutenant yeah i couldn't understand that concept because most people were chasing it at that contractual level That four years that's when you become a loo or a captain it's like good god man that guy took 20 years he's almost ready to walk out the door and he just became a loo but what did he do in that 20 years Yep. Think about what he did in that twenty
3: years. Yeah, and I'm a I'm a huge I'm a huge fan too. Is uh, like in the military they do it. Some of the bigger departments they do it as you know, it's it's like a peer evaluation. You know what I mean? So if you look and you're like, you know, this guy is solid. He's ready to go with uh, with all his skills, but he needs to grow up a little bit. Or you know what? This guy's uh, this guy's going to be a good leader in about three years. He's just not ready yet. You know, and I feel they do that with battalion chiefs and they may do it with like district captains, but why don't we do it at the younger ranks too? Where, like you said, the lieutenants are more vital. The it's it's a hardest position to transfer from firefighter, me and you are buddies till tomorrow I'm your boss and don't make me be your boss. Let's continue being friends, carry the respect on and get my back. You know what I mean? I don't understand yeah. why it's such a high-level thing at that point. You're kind of you're 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 kind of laid out. They know who you want when you get to that level. So you
2: build yourself up in that four years, okay? Those chasing it hard, right? And, and again, this goes back into the concept of I want to take on the world. And, and and so Rob discussed it earlier. I was so ready. I I did everything I needed to do. Got the steps in place. Became a lieutenant. You know, you passed captain up twice. Did you not? You passed yep. captain up twice, and you had to get an associate's. But what did you need for lieutenant? Just fire officer classes, probably. That's it. Fire officer one and two. Okay. okay. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Cause you know, those are good foundational building blocks, right? That's how you build yourself up and it's important. But when you only do it because you are yeah. just getting the classes done, you're not learning from those classes and you get to that point and that, that balloon pops. Like when Rob heard no the first time and that expectation you had that, that expectation you had, you were going to do great things and, and you thought you could. Well, guess what? You failed it. And now you just gave up. You become a complacent officer. In some cases, you don't engage anymore. You become discouraged. You, you lose it. And, and and that could be a maturity thing as well. So, again, is it is a 24, 25, 33, you know, 40. Who, who knows, man? You know, it, it, it's really up to the individual. It comes down to that person and it comes down to what they're truly looking for to become an officer. Are they going to be accepting of being imperfect? Are they going to be accepting of failing? Are they going to be accepting of being challenged? Do they know how to rise to the occasion? Can they lead? Can they take their men, their crew into you know hell's fury? No, not you know not trying to bullshit this one, but just take right. them into that fire and say, okay, I know that if something goes wrong, I, I, I'm going to work to get my guys out, and I, I'm going to do the steps that I need to. You know that every go, everybody goes home concept, and that's important. You're you're in charge of lives. You're in charge of people. It's not just a bugle. It's it's a it's a purpose. You know, and I fail that purpose sometimes and it scares me, you know, and I think, man, you know, there's there's a greater purpose to being a loo and a captain and even so on. Beyond that, you got to understand it's an individualistic thing.
1: It should keep you awake at night. It really should. That oh, yeah. responsibility should keep you awake at night. Your, your your families are depending on you. I take calls from my from my members, wives and girlfriends and I see their kids and and and, and they talk to me about the good and the bad. And and these guys are depending on us and that should keep you awake at night. If you take this job serious and you take being a company officer serious, that stuff should keep you awake at night. And then and Jay hit the nail on the head again. Um, there isn't an age. There isn't a time for it. There's such a human approach to becoming a good leader that you have to be comfortable in your skin as a person first, male, female. You got to be a comfortable woman, a comfortable male, whatever the, in your skin first with who you are, be okay with messing up and learning and admitting and moving forward. Be okay with failing and learning from your failures and moving forward and not pushing through. And continuing to fail, and all that comes with a maturity, time, and the job experience, and and reps matter. Reps really do matter, and, and I think it's hard for a four-year guy to figure that out. It just is, yeah. Uh,
0: they they haven't seen enough. They they haven't been exposed enough to see it, and And they need to be exposed more. They they need to be put in situations more. Um. You you guys hit on great points. I mean, Greg hit on great points. Uh, everybody's hit on some great points. So so we're getting a bunch of questions here on the chat. Right Wait, now. hold
3: on. Hold on a second, Herb. I, I I when you were talking about that whole thing about going through and getting seeing the reps, like Rob say, which you know, my crew is probably laughing that I even said the word reps. Reps. But but the uh the, the funny thing is is like fighter pilots can watch videos before they go into dogfights because they may see one in their entire existence. So like why can't that be a part of our operation as well? You know what I mean? Throwing some videos on, for instance, uh last shift or two shifts ago, if you guys haven't seen the um the Car Street Mayday in Glendale, mm-hmm. it's about a, it's about a 48 minute video. It's the best after action review that I've ever seen the guys there are they're, they're, they're squared away. They're wired tight. They got their stuff together. And then at the end, they do lessons learned and they get humble and they go, this is where I made my mistake. This is what I should have done better. I know better than this. You got to watch it with your crew. It's, it's unbelievable. But anyways, that video alone, some of my crew was telling me they, they went and watched it again and they watched it again. And I've seen it probably five times, but I think that's, That's a good start. Call it 10% or 25% of what you do. I still think we should put hands on. I still think we should go walk buildings and show these guys, Mm -hmm. hey, this is what we're looking at. This is where you're going to park the engine. This is where the cops are going to park in front of you and you got to go around them. You know what I mean? Like that type of stuff. But I I couldn't agree more. They're just – they don't have exposure, enough exposure, like you were saying, Herbie. That
1: exposure exposure doesn't have to come – I'll make it quick. I know we're moving on. But that exposure doesn't have to come in the form of actual fires. Some guys and girls don't work in very fire-centric areas, part of the country or urban metropolitan fire departments that get that type of fire load. Uh, but you have options as far, obviously, 2020 is an anomaly because of COVID, and we're all stuck at home. But on a regular year, we have so many training options available to us, especially here in Florida. We're so blessed with all the fire conferences we can attend and symposiums and training events. i see seen you. Herb. <laughs> your your yes. mind and without beating up on the. Paging Dr and all this stuff Paging Dr you cannot tell the difference between an actual rep and a mental rehearsal rep or whether you're in training or whether you're at an actual fire you're, you're, you're every time you take a rep and you stretch that line and you force that door whether you're in, in a fog machine with Hollywood smoke or you're a Main Street, USA down the street from your firehouse at two in the morning it's a rep and you're gonna build well, that you know you're gonna build that that absolute file in your brain that the next time you see it you're gonna approach it the same way you did in training. So well, perfect example, anywhere.
3: perfect example. What you were talking about on your podcast, Rob, I mean, that that's, that's not a, that's not a live survival training. That's everything you can give them up to that point. And then when those guys came and told you, Hey, we pulled one of our own guys out because of what you showed us. Dude, that's
1: the high right there. That's it. I could have stopped teaching that day. Now we're taught again. Exactly. 100%.
0: All right. So, we're uh, like I said. We're getting a bunch of comments in. One is uh, from a good friend of ours, Matty Johnson, and uh, he wants us to touch on and give give some suggestions on being the senior fireman and ideas on how we can lead the new guys as being the senior fireman and how the company officers lean on the senior man.
2: Well, if you don't empower the senior man then the senior man's not going to know how to lead the next generation. Bottom line. Okay, the senior guy could be that 20-year guy, 15-year guy that just doesn't want to do nothing or feels they don't have the right to do anything because they don't wear that bugle. But if you empower that senior man and set that expectation, man – Come with work with a great attitude. I want you to know, you know, you have the right to step in. You're the senior guy. You might have more knowledge than me. I'm the Lou. That doesn't mean I know everything. Crap, man, shit. There are more guys out there that know more than me, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. I learned from them, and I ask them questions if I need to. And there, there's resources out there. So the senior guy needs to know they're empowered in order to be able to teach the next generation. Bottom line, yeah, that's just me. That's me.
3: That's a two way street too, because the senior man needs to. He needs to lead with those guys next to him side by side. He needs to, you know, chew the dirt with them. But when it's time to go tell the captain something that nobody else or the lieutenant, whoever the house boss is, wants to tell them something, he's got to be the one to go up and say, hey, listen, Lou, or or, listen, Cap, um, we got to talk about what happened last day because uh, the guys are not jiving on that. So Mm -hmm. it's a two-way street. So you got to be able to carry the juice and you got to be willing to carry the juice
1: as well. Yeah. So so my example in, uh, we're the, in my world right now, my senior man is my driver, all right? And uh, so I have a lieutenant that rides out of my firehouse as well. We got a captain, lieutenant. He's got his company. I got mine. I have a driver. And my driver is my sounding board. We all need a sounding board. There's many times over the last two years where we're driving back from a call, and I'll be like, hey, how would I do? What could I have done better? Mm-hmm. What, what happened over there? Did you talk to the guys in the other truck? What happened over there? Did you talk to them? What you see? What could I have done better? Are they upset about something? And he's my conduit. That continuum between me and them is my senior guy. And he handles all those things that traditionally the senior man handles. Uh, when I need to, that 360 feedback, did I suck that last call? Hey, you saw me get in this guy's ass. Did he deserve it? Did I go too far? He's the person I bounced it off of. Yeah. But I've empowered him like that. And I trust his advice. It's sound. It's wise. It's 98.6 degrees all the time. And, and he sometimes clarifies things for me and gets the, you know, that gray and shady and turns it into black and white for me to make me better at my job. Yeah. So yeah, that senior man is absolutely priceless, man.
2: And we don't always get fires, you know, firstly, you know, that's something we don't always get. And 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 we get those runs occasionally where we get those opportunities. But what we prim- primarily do are the medicals. You know, I got four nursing homes in my first year, two big senior communities on top of the villages around me. So, you know, we see a lot of bad stuff at times with medical, you know, and it's crazy because we get some pressing calls. And I looked at my guy and he's an EMT and, and, and I miss being an EMT some days when I have to get into those <laughs> moments of being a medic. And it's like, oh, shit, this is going to be a brain cruncher. Right. Mm-hmm. But. You know, after the call, I'll look at him. And if we don't have our third guy, like I said, most of the time we're two people, but we do get a lot of probies in our in our, you know, station. So when they cycle through, the recruits cycle through, we get that opportunity to really train and my guy's a hands-on guy with them. You know, I ask him, I, I bounce off of him. Hey, man, what could I have done different? And you know what? At first, he did not answer that question. He was like, no, man, I mean, I'm not a paramedic. I don't know how to speak to that. I don't know what. You- well, why don't you pay attention? Because you know what you're doing. You know, why don't you pay attention to what I do? If you think I'm doing something wrong, tell me in the call. It's OK, man. And I want you to say something after the call if I could have done it better. So now when I ask him that question, he'll rattle off things that I never even thought of, you know, and he'll say, man, what if we had tried this? And this is a guy with 20 years on who has observed medics, you know, for a good part of his careers in an EMT. And, and, and he's talking like us, like, well, let's go to medic school. Oh, no, I'm ready to retire. Let's go to lieutenant. Yeah, let's go to lieutenant. No, 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 man. I'm happy being your driver. Let's you we're drivers for life with you. You know, you, you were ride or die in this aspect. But it's just awesome to get that feedback from your senior guy. Yeah. Especially in front of the junior guy, because then that reinstills that the junior guy is going to be in that role one day and entrusted with that opportunity to be that feedback guy, to be that bounce back guy. I think that's yeah. awesome.
0: No, it's uh that actually plays right into the uh we had another uh comment and it says uh from Mike, it says the, the senior guy needs to be able to walk into the company officer's office and close the door and have a real talk without getting blasted by the officer. So with that being said, and, and, and I'll hit on that first, and then you guys uh, run with it. That's a two-way street. Uh-huh. And it's a two-way street, meaning that you need to be able to, that company officer needs to, needs to be able to look at you and say, okay, you know what? My senior guy in that firehouse right now, he is the end-all, be-all per se, the cliche of end-all, be-all. He is the guy that I'm counting on for everything. So you don't need to be a thorn in the side. You don't need to be anything other than being that company officer's right-hand man. And when you're that company officer's right-hand man, he's going to take care of you on the backside. He's going to look out for you. He's going to make sure you're okay. He's going to make sure that that you go home. So maybe laying down that, that groundwork first and, and letting him know exactly what it is that you want. And that goes right into what we started talking about earlier. If I get promoted and I go in and there's a senior man that I haven't worked with and he's a senior man in the house. Okay. You know what? Let's sit down and have this conversation. You know what? Boom. Take the bugle off the, take the bugle off the shirt. What do you expect from me? Lay it all out. Now as a company officer, I'm going to lay it out on the line of what I expect from you. But you can't get mad if you don't do something or you don't recoup something that you think you should if you're not living up to the expectations that the company officer put forward and vice versa. Yeah. If you're giving me a little pushback and I'm not living up to your expectations, then guess what? I expect you to give me a little pushback.
2: You can't agree with me all the time. And you can't like everything I do, and and if you do, then there's a problem. Okay, I I don't need to be praised. I don't care about that. You know what I care about? There's that accountability thing again. All right, and, and I may not like it at times, and I may get mad at times. That's the human side of life as well. You know, being being in a role of leadership, you have to accept that people are going to challenge you, question you, and call you out. You know, and and. Mm-hmm you have to know how to handle that and address it. And you got to be able to reflect on that. Again, we're talking back to the first steps of this conversation, this dialogue here. And, you know, it's important to understand that you got to be able to, to expect that you got to understand that. And, and, and how you respond is going to make the difference in the end. It's going to make the difference for the next step in your relationship as you know, the crew, and that's going to advance further agendas in the good for the positive, I think, because at least, you know, where everybody stands, have an open dialogue you got to have an open dialogue. You can't well, shelter hide things.
3: And the and I also think that the senior man position like we talked about has to be earned because if you got a senior guy that wants to kick his feet back and be a shitbag and not do anything, well now I'm leaning on my guy that wants to be the most experienced or the one with the most drive. He may be the four-year guy, three-year guy. He may be from another department, you know? Like I said, I don't like to use the word blessed, but the state the crew that I have now at My station there, there, there's not a person in that house that couldn't run as a Lieutenant couldn't run a good scene today. But a lot of that is self-taught because they have the drive. And then a lot of that is me kind of steering them into the funnel and kind of empowering them. So they're like, all right, if I make a mistake, I'm going to get my ass chewed. I'm going to get taught what I did wrong, or we're going to talk about it, or we're going to figure it out. Then we're going to keep moving forward. So the senior man can be abused, like you can, just like you do with a, uh, like an officer. You can weaponize training. You can weaponize an officer's position. You can also weaponize the senior, the senior man position. So you, you got to weaponize
2: keep- the junior man, too, though. And yeah, even Faster than any other role in the fire service because they're the most impressionable. All right. And yeah. they're going to follow the leader in that aspect because they don't know any other way. And you can create a shit bag new guy very easily by giving them that bad influence. And you know what? They're going to take that to the next step and the next role in the next station. And that's a very bad part of the culture. Okay, that you have to understand exists out there in the fire service. It's not all about rainbows and lollipops and leadership. There's a shit side to this culture as well that you have to embrace, and it sucks sometimes. You know, it really does. And you have to yeah. be able to take that that person and try to steer them back, and it takes a little bit of empowerment. Sometimes a little bit of uh, an autocratic style of leadership. At times, you got to be you know a little abrasive, and, and you got to re- reset. Like people were with me when I was that shit bag with that negative culture. You know.
1: Yeah, I. I... And that does happen a lot. I, I saw it firsthand uh, when I was in training. You bust your ass with these guys in the recruit development. You spend six, eight weeks with them every day, Monday through Friday. You're kicking their ass, setting expectations early, set, uh, setting tradition, pride, ownership in the fire department, fire service. This is what you're coming into. This, like, these are your expectations. your privilege to be here with like-minded individuals. You know, rah, 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 PT. And then you watch them go to a shitty crew. Mm-hmm. And you run into them a year later. And they got the, guy, the shit bag. and he was your mm-hmm. number one student in the fire in the fire academy when he got hired. And now that it the, happens, it's the yeah, dirty truth of our job. Yeah. And I'll I'll, I'll be the first to say it. it happens everywhere. It happens in my department. None mm-hmm. of those guys are watching this because only one us watch this. But it's true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. It does happen, and it's and it's, it's disheartening. But uh, you know, you got to save as many as you can in the process of yeah. uh. You know, creating the environment you want. As far as, uh, going real real quick, right back to the senior members, uh, that empowerment is huge uh, and having someone like Jay said that disagrees with you and is not a yes sir, yes ma'am type guy. Because that yes sir, yes ma'am type guy is absolutely useless to my development and the culture of the crew. If I want to be a good leader in order to have a productive crew, I need a senior man that's going to disagree with me when I and call me out on my bullshit. And I've had my senior guy come up to me and tell me, hey Rob, You sucked on that call. I have, Or or come up to me at 8 o'clock at night and be like, hey, Rob, can I talk to you outside? All our conversations happen in the fire truck, by the way, because we have no private office. The 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 firehouse is a freaking shit show. But uh, in the fire truck, he'll be like, hey, what's going on today? You've been freaking a pain in the ass all day. And I'll have that moment of clarity where I'm like, damn, I have been a pain in the ass today. Yeah. What's bothering me? Let me address it and move forward and make sure that the rest of the night I stop sucking. You know, suck
3: hey, I, hey, Rob, don't feel bad, man. I have an entire firehouse that calls me out. I feel like I'm on an Island sometimes. Well,
2: it's because you yeah. shave that mustache and you only keep yeah. it seasonal. That's why. I know. I, right? know I know. So, I know. You know, we're going back to that again. Hey, Give so me a
3: month.
0: You have 25 days. So I want <laughs> to, you guys, I want to talk to you guys kind of about leading by fear Mm. why it doesn't work
2: can i jump in on that one uh hey take it and run with it so keeping names keeping premise out of it you've got a lou who's got x amount of years of experience right and they run their company by one method and that is imposing fear of Well, let's say reprimand, fear of discipline, fear of termination, especially in that first year. And those are the that's probably the most crucial of the five years because you're getting the most out of that first year. And that's going to springboard you to years two through five when you can actually move up and get promoted and do things if you're going to do that. So you take that leadership role and you use it for the negative and you and, and this is where motivation comes in and you're motivating in the fear for the negative. And guess what happens? That person can't win because they're always going to be failing and not failing to learn they're failing period. Okay. They're not failing because the Lieutenant, you know, is giving, is giving the encouragement to fail and succeed. They're saying, no, man, you're failing. You're not doing a good job. I don't like you for whatever reason. I'm going to instill fear that you have an expectation to get through 12 months. And if you don't, cause I'm the guy that can make it happen get you fired with my recommendation. And man, let me tell you something that's scary. And I've seen guys recently get uh, fired. And you reflect on why. Was it the guy or was it the person training them? And and that's important to think about because that first year, that guy, that's going to have an impact on him with the next department. And if he even goes back into the fire service, you know, if he chooses or she chooses to go back in the fire service, because they're always going to look back on that leader who instilled fear on them instead of encouraging them to fail and rise to the occasion
1: and I'll go ahead and add to that as well. I totally agree with Jay. Uh, fear is not only ineffective, but it hinders our decision-making process. You're never going to have a, an effective company uh, being run by fear or that's not uh, a leadership. A loose, well-trained, uh, high rep company, there's a word again, rep, uh, it's the best type of company uh, to ultimately fulfill our, our mission, which is you know preserving life and property. Uh, every single one of us when put in that you know high risk low frequency event uh go through a decision-making process that's already extremely difficult under those circumstances now you add an extra obstacle which is fear of failure fear of messing up fear of getting written up fear of getting yelled at fear of being, ri- being ridiculed and you just delay the decision-making process that may result in an untimely response to a bad situation so uh, uh, fear uh, is not uh, effective. It's uh, it hinders performance, and ultimately, it becomes a detriment to the people that we serve. Uh, I, I I've seen people and other company officers use that style of leadership, and uh, it's extremely uh, uh, ineffective. And I, I, the people that come out of those firehouses uh, reflect that. It's it, disheartening. Yeah. It's, 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 ab-
3: it's absolutely like fire ground ineffective when you're fr- like you're tying their hands. Uh, yeah. y- you can't, you can't tie your hands as a company officer. I mean, we have our guidelines. I get it. We're not, we're not trying to be, you know, total nomads of the fire service, but you have your guidelines and you got to focus on what you need to be done, but you can't have, you can't tie your hands to where it's like, you know what? I'm going to make a decision. It's a little unorthodox, but I think the outcome is going to be good. You're hoping that I'm trained and I have the know-how and the crew that's going to make the right decision to go that route, kind of semi no matter how you get there.
2: So three things, the right decision, the wrong decision, indecision. Okay, what's the worst of the three? What's the greater evil of the three? It's the failing to make the decision. You're going to make good decisions, bad decisions, but those are where you learn. If you fail to make the decision because out of fear of making the wrong decision, then that's where you're going to do the most damage, and it's going to hurt you, and it's going to hurt everyone around you. It has that greatest impact to do so. So indecision is the greater of the evils.
3: Yeah, we all have them. We all have those company officers, firefighters, whoever, that are afraid. Uh, No matter what it is, if they're afraid, they're not sure of themselves, uh, their confidence levels are low, or they're in a position they shouldn't be in. We have those people, and the and the whole crew from their rank down knows that they're indecisive. They know mm-hmm. it. They're the only ones that don't realize it.
2: Yeah, because they're in a bubble. Yeah, they're in a
3: bubble.
0: Greg, you yeah. definitely hit, you definitely hit that nail on the head. And there's only so long that leading by fear works per Mm -hmm. se before a lot sooner than later that leading by fear is going to expose all of their weakness and once it's exposed and and that's really what they're trying to keep under wraps they don't want to be exposed of the weaknesses but once it's exposed they've lost the ship they're the captain of the ship and they lost the ship right then yeah they're they're trying to hide
2: they already lost the ship. It's just now it's sinking. All right. You know, the ship is out to sea and it's listing. It's got no support, no structure, nothing pushing it. All right. The ship is failing and then it hits that iceberg and it's done. All right. You know, when that exposure happens, the greater thing that occurs is the crew wakes up says, Holy shit, maybe we shouldn't have been listening and maybe we shouldn't have been intimidated. And usually something good can come out of that though. Something good can come out of that.
3: Yeah. I just saw a comment come up too. And I think it was by, um, uh, Stephanie Rosario, where it said that um, fear-based leaders need to check their motives. You could you couldn't have hit it any better than that. What is their motivation to be in their position? Because if they're not leading, then they shouldn't be in that position. You know, mm-hmm. if they're if they're a firefighter and they're afraid to go on a medical call or afraid to wear a mask or whatever, then they probably shouldn't even be in this line of work. Mm-mm. So,
1: yeah. True story. Highly, highly ineffective. Yeah, very much so. Right.
3: And in the military, they call that um what, what do they call that? Uh battle ineffective or something along that lines. So I was a navy guy, I don't know all those field terms. I don't but, know. I wasn't hearing
2: anything because I'm not com- seeing a mustache, so it's not com- making sense to me right now.
3: Your yours so is delayed yours is delayed from your mustache. To filter. Well,
2: there there's a two second delay there, okay? Two second it's, delay.
3: It's combat ineffective.
2: Oh. And, and a lot of them
3: but it's just, it carries the same way over to uh, the fire service as well. Yeah. Saw sure. that in, in a Vietnam movie one time. I'm we are kind of a paramilitary.
1: Right next to cyclic. Oh, there we go. That's good word. Uh, it's comeback and
3: effective and cyclic. See, I got one
2: good word, and he got a good phrase. There we go. I'm down. Hey, Rob,
3: Hey Rob. did you see that Herbie agreed with me? Like, you're agreeing with Jason all the time. Herbie agreed with me on that one. Wow. Herbie. Was That's that a moment? Yeah. The
1: bottom take guy that. and the top guys.
3: Yeah, take that, pal.
1: Did
2: we just share a moment here? we did was it a hallmark moment i'm just curious all right, all right. i'm with tears all right. Uh,
0: here uh uh patty uh patty said uh combat ineffective
3: thank thanks uh that's pat hayden he'll uh he'll be on here a couple weeks from now herbie and i reached out to him he's uh he that's another good one that's another good podcast to watch man that guy's uh he, he's got some good stories. He's, uh, he, he was on, um, Boston rescue one, oh. one of, one of the youngest guys to actually be on the rescue if I'm mistaken. Um, but he's, uh, he's, a uh, he's a good dude. He's hard to understand though. Cause he's Irish and from Boston. Whoa. So Yeah. Yeah. So Whoa. you're not, not, not a lot going on there, but you know, we'll try to translate Herbie and I, we worked with him a little bit. We know some of his little ticks and, and we know other guys that could type in and, tell him what, you know, tell everybody what he actually said. But uh, it's going to be good. Look, look for him in probably the next month, right, Herbie?
0: Yeah, probably probably in the next three weeks uh, we'll, we'll get him on. And then uh, next week is uh, going to be Danny Barron from uh, FDNY, uh, Rescue nice. Company 5. Nice. Um, all right, so here uh, I'm going I'm to throw this out to Jason and Rob. Oof. Uh, I, I want both of you guys just kind of – give us your input on it, how to build morale when morale is at an all-time low. Go ahead, Jay.
2: What's the culture of your department at that moment in time? And then think about that for a second. What is the cultural design of your department? All right. Are we meeting that cultural design or are we not? Okay. What are our expectations, our mission statement? What's the drive that pushes our guys to do their job every day, show up every day? And then look at the individual cultures of every fire station and find out if they align. Okay, because the moment you lose that perspective and you have 26 depart or 26 stations, for instance, and three shifts, you do the math. Okay, and I'm not going to do the math because that's not my strong suit. I slept through statistics. But you've got a number of different versions of culture, a number of different versions of morals. And so is that an individualistic thing? Universal, it's hard to say. Okay, they they don't always align. Morale can be something that can be started in house, and I think that it starts at the level of the company officer. And this is something I'm very proud of because it's not that I do it all the time, but I think this is where the company officer in general has the greatest ability because we outnumber every other senior officer in in the department. When you think about it, there's more lieutenants and captains on those engines than there are battalions, deputies, divisions you know onto the chief himself so where the morale issues need to begin and end needs to be in that right seat and it needs to start with evaluating the needs of that station and then leading by example to boost morale and i think that's where a good company officer can take morale and make it good or bad or you know a good company officer a bad company officer can have that influence
1: Uh, i'm going to go ahead and add to that i i I take a very simple approach to it Uh, morale starts and stops at me i'm the buffer between i'm between you know that, that that whole uh us versus them mentality, which I hate because I, I've been in administration and we've been company officers. Uh, but when I when the junior member sees administration or sees another company officer or sees a senior member, it becomes an us versus them mentality. I try to nip that at the bud immediately at our, at our level. Anything negative that comes from the top down, I try to stop it at my level and Amen. vice versa. I like to focus on the firehouse. Yeah. And like, like you just said, it. If I focus solely on my firehouse, my guys, 8 a.m. to 8 a.m., everything that happens within those four walls, what are their needs? Am I meeting their expectations? Can we have a good time while we do it? Are we going to train? What keeps them happy? Are they going to work out? Am I going to get the two guys ready to go to Smoke Diver? The driver guy going to get his driving time in. Are we going to have a couple of meals together? Are we going to sit at the kitchen table and talk? Are we going to do the things that are normal to us, to the culture of that firehouse? Not so much the fire department because there's a lot of things that happen in the fire department that we cannot control because that mm-hmm. pendulum swing income sometimes gets, gets very wide. Uh, now with the COVID and the calls and the PPE and the decon and mm-hmm. the policies, and it's just completely overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I'll be the first to tell you that yeah. at first we were, we were managing and handling things uh, much better than we are now, six months down the line. You know, we've been doing this for about six months now since March and we're down here at the hub, you know, Broward and Dade County, in palm beach county as well so uh the guys and girls are getting very tired and there's a lot of operational fatigue happening and complacency because of the amount of time we've been working in this extraordinary environment where every call is a call that requires decon uh, of the truck of the gear of the clothes they're wearing showers downtime on the trucks so our norm what i've known to be a norm for the last 18 years is no longer so i still got to find a way to be that cheerleader So that when they're getting their ass kicked and they come back to the firehouse, uh, I can provide some type of normalcy. And, uh, again, identifying their needs, focusing on the firehouse's needs, and maintaining some type of normalcy in this crazy world that we're living in right now. And trying to focus on the needs of my members, not the needs of the fire department. I know that doesn't sound good being a company officer, but I'll make sure the fire department gets what it needs. But I also have to make sure that my guys have what they need as well to operate. And ultimately, uh, we're servants. You, that, doesn't sound, that doesn't sound.
2: That doesn't sound out at all, though, Rob. When you think about it, okay, like you said, it begins and ends with you. The department will shine based on your representation, okay, and you're the image that will present in a good light because your crew is supported by you. Your crew is motivated in the good way, inspired. i like. I would rather just use the word inspired by you. You're right, man. This has been. The, the shittiest four and a half, five months in, in, in our culture and our service, we have lost a lot of our common ground with the humanistic side of things. When you think about we're, we're, we're a service, we embrace people, you know we embrace each other and we can't even do that. We have to wear masks in our station. We have to wear masks in the truck. We cannot engage in dinner at the table anymore we and it's not the fault of the department because they're following the guidelines they're keeping us safe and they know it stresses us out and it's hard for them to have to enforce those rules but we're also human and, and it's hard because i take that t- that table talk sacred and we don't always get to do that now because if we have more than so many people in a room we got to socially distance we have to follow the rules and you fail sometimes because you remember you're human And you know what? You lose sight of what's really going on because you're just so beat down and you want to have that hug. And guess what? You know, you may have gotten exposed to something. You know, we I'm not going to go into details, man. We had an incident. I took a 14 day vacation and, and eight of us. Actually, my whole station, all three shifts took a 14 day vacation because of an incident. There was some ethical questioning there, unfortunately, on the person's behalf that that created the problem. And we'll leave it at that. But the problem is it's still we navigated this for four and a half months as a crew. You know, we took every precaution, every shift, and we work in the environment where you've got four nursing homes, you've got the villages, you've got all of it right there, and you know we've seen it, we've touched yeah. it, we've all been there. And that that four months, we've taken every aspect in, into consideration. Do we decon our clothes now? Do we take extra care with our equipment? Do we put our truck out of service, take a shower, make sure we put fresh uniforms, wash clothes, all the extra steps we wouldn't normally have to take Going home in regular clothes, you know, and, and making sure you don't bring this shit home to your family, all those things, and it stresses you out, you know. And 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 remember that one moment of weakness sometimes is is hard to swallow because that could be the defining moment of you getting sick because you let your guard down. And I hate to think that way, but it's how we have to think right now. You know, we are fatigued.
1: We are fatigued. We got guys, we have guys in my firehouse out right now as we speak. I got two of my guys out on, on their 14-day vacation. Um, I was out. We've had, it's it's been a, been a revolving door. We've had up to 10% of our workforce out over the last couple of weeks. Uh, So keeping more, uh, motivating our members, inspiring our members, uh, keeping the firehouse uh, morale high has been a challenge like no other in my career the last couple of months. It's a full-time job. And we have to go home and do it with our families.
0: Yeah. But but also on a, on the touch on that, Rob, uh, I also feel that, the morale is contagious. So if you got a brand new guy that's that's full of piss and vinegar, he comes in, he's just raring to go. He's going to motivate us and it's going to get contagious. And that morale is just going to go throughout the station. There's only so long that the uppers can fight the morale. So if the morale starts low and it builds all the way up, there's only one thing they can do. They're going to have to accept it. They're going to have to buy into it, or eventually, guess what? They're going to end up getting out of there. But morale can start as low as the brand-new fireman that comes in, who, in theory, is motivating the rest of the crew. Yeah. Yeah,
1: That's 100%. true.
2: That's true. That's a whole other way of looking at it, you know, from the bottom to the top versus the top to the bottom or the middle of the bottom. You know, you got to look at who can bring the enthusiasm into a house. You get a guy who's brand new, you know, in the early 20s, right out of high school. They got this job because they don't know anything about it. But, you know, what? it looked intriguing and they walked through the door with an opti- with an optimistic point of view. And you know what? Maybe the, the Lou says, hey, that's cool. You know what? Maybe I should work with this guy and, and take some interest in that person or that girl. It doesn't matter. You know, just show, give some love back. And, and and you know what it does for you? It boosts you up. And maybe it inspires you to do other things yourself and things you never thought you would pursue in your career.
3: I feel that uh, I feel like you guys are doing it wrong. You need a nice pot of coffee, a coffee cake, sit around the table, talk shit. And then go out and uh, do a little training or something.
2: Um, How do you know we're not already effing doing that? All right? well, I mean, the coffee's on, and you know, I. All right, let's just
3: check it. Then maybe you guys are doing it right, you know? So we'll see. Uh, uh,
1: uh, <laughs> There'll be two coffees a pot of coffee and a Cuban coffee. Or okay. pasolitos pos- pos- for you, to- Rob.
2: Cafecito. All right. All right. Espresso. And, and I love it when my guys from Almarada or South Florida come up, you know, I had one bring up this entire system with a Bunsen burner heater thingy. And, you know, when you're <laughs> teaching at the college and and someone walks in with a tray of espresso ready to go. And it's like, OK, this is good. Hey, thank you. You know, it's like I'll take four of those and, and then come back later and I'll take four more. You know, it's like I, I grew up on that stuff down in South Florida and you can't get away from it. you got to have it. It's just a blessing. So, yeah, God bless South Florida.
3: Well, if you're you're ever, uh, if you're ever deployed or anywhere, find Florida task force Two. the, uh, what were they? They're pink, uh, pink unicorn pop tarts (laughs) and, and, uh, cafecito. Forget it. The logistics guys, they're probably still getting Christmas presents from a few years ago.
2: God bless them. That's
0: amazing. But that's uh, a
2: sacred moment. Is it not sitting at the table having coffee? All
0: right. Oh yeah. Hey, so the, uh, the comments are coming in crazy right now. So, so, rob nice shirt uh chief warlow says uh key west does cuban coffee too just so you guys know
2: oh come on up chief bring him send
0: uh, him so when we're just moving on it's uh leadership is 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 a huge ordeal man it's uh and the reason why i brought you guys on greg and i when we talked about it we wanted jason on we wanted rob on Leadership can start the day you walk in that firehouse. And to to touch base on that, you might have a guy who was doing construction prior to being in the fire service. You get a car into a house. Well, guess what? He might be the guy you're leaning on right there. Mm -hmm. Taking the time to actually know the guys that work in your firehouse, their background is crucial. And I feel we do a disservice to that because we don't do it enough. We don't take time to actually invest in our guys to see exactly what their history is. And it's not because of a bad company officer or anything, because shit's changed in the 17 years I've been in the fire service. We're doing a hell of a lot more now than we were before. Now there's paperwork. There's, there's all these forms we got to fill out. There's computer programs we got to do. There's a shit ton of stuff that we have to do. I encourage anyone that's listening that, that's getting ready to be a company officer that's not a company officer, take a moment and, and listen to your guys. Find out what they do. Find out what their story is. Because you might have some super knowledgeable guys within your firehouse that you have no clue about because you never spent the time to invest in them.
3: Yeah. Well, and then you can make them the lead, whatever their discipline is—construction, extrication, whatever—and then you're empowering them. So now they're kind of like, "Hey, man, my my company officer is leaning on me a little bit. You know, now I want to strive a little bit better. I'll go do this training. I'll go help the new guy. I'll go do whatever." I, I think it's it's vital.
1: It's part yeah. of the buying process. They buy into the they buy into what you're selling. Uh, you empower them. You identify their strengths by creating those relationships, yeah. understanding who they are as people, what they bring to the table, knowing what you don't know as a leader, and creating a team that's strong. I mean, how how, how amazing is, to, is it to be able to have a team where you know you have, you got the A team of whatever you need. You got your freaking saw guy. You got your mm-hmm. full entry guy. You got the other guy who sells out to the medical stuff and he can work any code, any any medical call you need. And, and, and the list goes on and on and on. And it's impossible for you to think that you are the end all be all of every single one of those things. It's, Unrealistic, hook, you know.
2: I'll give you a prime example of this proby class of eight. All right, in this class, I've got two army medics, I've got an MMA cage fighter who was a high school wrestler turned semi pro down in South Florida, I've got a welder. I've got a guy who teched out in under two years in his first department at uh, the early 20s, and, and in 25, he's with us now. i got a guy from East Coast Department with four years on who has a, a vast experience working in rural as well as urban environments, which is uniquely adaptable to what we do. Um, I've got a brand new, right out of college, basic guy to high school, paramedic, firefighter who was inspired to join this department you know, after riding with our crew at 52 you know, and just enjoying the, the 30 calls a shift. We ran, you know, when we were getting the calls, that's hyperbolic. But, you know, I'm just saying we run a lot, you know, and, you know, it's cool because when you learn about these people, then you understand how they work. You understand how they function. And and then you can let your guard down and kind of share who you are. And so now you have mutual ground here. You're on mutual turf. You're not better or worse, but you bring something to the table, I bring something to the table, we can make that work together. It's a beautiful relationship. That's the team building aspect of this. We're a team oriented profession. We don't do it by ourselves, we do it with each other. We do this job as a team, as a unit, you
0: know? It's uh, so Garrett Pingle from uh Fort Lardo, awesome fireman, put a comment up there and uh, it. it it's a good comment, so I want to read it out to you guys. It says, "Absent leadership is often worse than bad leadership, and in times like this, we cannot allow the pandemic to create an absent leadership excuse or a crutch." Leaders must remain creative with this dynamic. Could not Absolutely. have said it better.
1: That's uh, Chief Pingle. Chief Pingle is, uh, is on point on that one, and it's, it's a tough challenge. I'll be, and I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. Uh, it's, it's been a tough, tough. Uh, six months for us. Uh, myself, uh, I've been challenged like I haven't been challenged before. I had a very uh set schedule show up to work. Guys knew we were going to train, they knew we were going to work out, they knew we were going to have a meal together, we were going to cook, we mm-hmm. were going to have firehouse time, we we're going to do our thing. We had our routine. Every firehouse has a routine. You guys have yours, we have ours, our pots of coffees, our cafecitos, you know, one after lunch, one, one after dinner. We had our thing. All that completely got shook up, and uh, so the first couple of months. I was taking advantage of the empty buildings. They had empty buildings everywhere. Talked to the Hampton Inn guy. He's like, yeah, cool, you can stretch in our hallways. Just keep it dry. You can stretch in our stairwells. Parking garages were empty. We were stretching the parking garages because all the businesses were shut down. And I was taking full advantage of these situations left and right. And as the operation's drawn out now, and here we are pushing six months, it's become harder and harder and harder not to become fatigued and, and, and you're having your creativity challenged as a leader, as a trainer, as a, as a motivator, as an inspire to keep these members, uh, you know, not distracted, but, um, mission oriented and mission ready because they're so COVID centric right now Mm -hmm. that everything is PPE, donning, doffing, Mm -hmm. uh, purchasing, ordering, deconning. And we've fallen away from, in other shifts and other firehouses, our primary mission, which is still, you know, the blue collar craft of firefighting, we gotta stretch and pull and force and throw ladders and, and to create some normalcy for these members, some mental health. <clears throat> yeah,
3: yeah, and I I agree that you have to keep keep doing it, even though let's say we haven't done it because we've been COVID focused. But I mean you, you gotta you gotta face you got you gotta face your uh fears basically even if you're gonna if you feel that you may flop or you may do it wrong whether you're the company officer or you're the senior man. I'm, I'm a huge fan of trying stuff new. I like the growth mindset because there's nothing better than doing something and it absolutely sucks. And you look at everyone and you laugh and you're like, well, I guess we're not doing that. You know, <laughs> so it's like that's yeah. classic. So it's it's perfect. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. So you got to face your own fears. So everybody meets their goals, which is obviously going home in the morning, being safe finishing out your career, spending your pension, and then everything else that falls in on your work, you know?
2: What frustrated us was, you know, we have a lot of commercial in my first two. And when it all went down, you know, nobody went in. It didn't matter who, unless it was an emergency, you weren't going in. I mean, all our nursing homes went on lockdown. Most of them wouldn't let us in there at all. Um, you know, there was very little, it was a ghost town in our neighborhood and you, we went from a vibrant community, you know, with an infrastructure that was well supported to empty parking lots for, you know, several miles up and down 27 and 441, you know, that used to be lined with vehicles. And one of the biggest obstacles and, and, and how dynamic this was in the early stages where we went from gatherings to no gatherings to, okay, you just got handed a probie, another one. And I did like the first week of this pandemic and there were expectations and, We even had to put those expectations in check and, okay, what can we do? What can we do? Can I get these accomplished in 15 shifts? And that's a lot, a lot of less time than you think. I mean, when you're looking at several obstacles and hurdles that you have to overcome, like with my, my guy at the beginning of the year versus now. You know, we were pre planning, we were in these buildings, we were looking at the systems, we were looking for the FDCs, the hydrants, we were tracking these parking lots, we were going into these communities, we were, you know, we were walking around trailers, you know, in some of these communities' homes, you know, hey, what do we do here? What would you do here? How would you stretch that? And then you couldn't do that because you couldn't engage or be near people unless it was an emergent situation. And then you had to be in PPE and, you know, that even evolved. And so it was incredibly frustrating, you know, March through April. You know, that was a a rough time because that's when things really started ramping up and things really started slowing down. And then we get this break. And everything's opening up back. You know, it's vibrant again, and things are happening. And all of a sudden, now we're back at that damn near we're shutting things down stage again. And it's like, man, we just got a breath of fresh air. And the second wave came back so quick. And how frustrating is it to see things slowly digressing back? That's a morale hitter, too, you know, because you're thinking, man, I used to be able to do this and I can't do that, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we're all feeling it.
0: It <laughs> okay, sucks. That
1: was a good, was a good, good comment by Chief Pingle.
0: No, absolutely. it's uh so when we get ready to wrap this up, uh, the four of us we we all teach at different uh different areas and stuff like that. What are some of the things that uh I'll start with Rob, and then we'll go to Jason and then we'll go up to Greg. What are some of the things that uh you guys have had to implement now within the teaching community to to continue education for your guys?
1: Uh, are you talking about at work or outside my outside work?
0: Uh, outside of work.
1: Outside work. Got to be honest with you. I've had everything I've been scheduled to do has been canceled over the last uh, couple of months. Um, the Fools Conference got canceled. Massey got canceled. Uh, we're looking at Fort Lauderdale coming up. I believe I'm doing a gig with uh, Jay October 22nd, 23rd, somewhere up north.
2: Ah, coming to the Fools Conference, man. We're good to hang out. I love yeah, it. We'll,
1: we'll be up there together. Rock on, um, brother. Awesome. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but, yeah, I've been uh, over at the Fire Academy. They've been doing Zoom classes and mm. and staggering their students coming in at different times and one instructor at a time. A lot of online stuff, online lectures, um, target solutions type based training through Rescue One Resource and so on. It's, uh, it's been a, a complete, you know, 180 of what, where we were. Because a lot of our job has so much to do with hands-on and that human interaction and, and yeah. being able to show, you know, this is the way you grab and drag and hold. And this is the way you use the, your, your, the, the, your body to the best mechanical position or advantage to throw that ladder, drag that person, pull that line. And being unable to do that for the last six months has really freed up my schedule, honestly. But um, I'm looking forward to getting back yeah. to it yeah. um, because I, I miss that. That's my time where I get to learn teach and interact and be part of the brotherhood and the fellowship, which I need for my soul in order to keep doing what I do every third day at my firehouse. And I kind of lost that the last six months. So I'm looking forward to getting back into the swing of things.
2: Absolutely. I can echo just about every bit of that, Rob. And coming from being someone who was every month, every month, one week a month, living at the fire college, just 20, 30 minutes up the road from my house. But I would stay there and stay engaged because you know, we had a lot of people travel in from other parts of the state. It was great to have the guys from Pensacola, from South Florida, from the Keys, you know, even the Virgin Islands and in, in, in the Turks and Caicos coming up and taking classes at the Florida State Fire College. And then all of a sudden, operations like that ceased. And we basically—I taught my last class in March, and by God's grace, I was able to get in for a couple of days to teach a class uh, late or early last month, and it was great. But then it's uh, it ceased again, so teaching had become non-existent for several months, and it was very frustrating. You know, you go from being in that classroom, like you said, it's not about what you're teaching sometimes; it's about what you're learning from and the interaction from the people that you're teaching you're learning more from them in most cases because they're sharing perspectives. You can talk all day long and share, like, you know, we can have this dialogue with people, but it's better to get some of that feedback from them to maybe think differently. And you say, okay, I can adapt that to here and try this there because you know what, they have great ideas too. And they learn because they, they feel like, you know, Hey, I'm I'm getting that positive, you know, feedback on both sides. The downfall is now you don't have that. And when you're engaged in the classroom, well, shit, man, what are you going to do? So I thought about online, I thought about teaching programs, and then, you know, out of nowhere, I got the call, hey, would you like to come teach pump ops for the recruit class? I was jumping at the opportunity. I was giddy (laughs) at the opportunity. Little did I know, like I said, July and August in the Florida heat up here, you know, you'd be outdoors all day. I forgot just how fun that was, and it's not fun. Let me just put it to you that way. But, you know, it was fun, flowing water, working with the brothers and getting these kids trained to be pump operators. And that was great because that's such an important role in our department our part of our culture. And it's just been so awesome to bring that program to our community, to our County and be able to share it with this class in a first time opportunity. So yeah, man, it's just awesome to be able to do that. And hopefully October we'll be able to do the same thing when we do another hiring. So I'm just going to keep pushing on that mission right now and just try to keep getting in the classroom where I can. Awesome.
1: How about you guys? What are you guys up to? I don't
2: know. Hers about five foot eight. That's what I'm thinking, right?
1: Now, so I know Greg is not.
2: No, I was gonna say. Oh, five. okay. Here we go.
3: Here we go.
0: So, so we're uh, we're we're actually picking back up speed right now. Uh, a bunch of departments have reached out to us, so uh, we're doing classes now. But it's uh it's something like we've never done in the 12, 13 years that uh, Greg and I've been teaching together. Excuse me. It's uh now we're doing temperature checks. We're doing uh-huh. kind of the classroom. We got hand sanitizer stations. Before you know it, I mean, we're spending an hour just doing prep work when the class is starting of, of everything. Social distancing. We got masks. It, it, it's, it's something that we've never seen, at least in my lifetime.
3: Yeah. 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 So I think, um, I think the, the few classes that I've done, um, uh, it, it's kind of a, kind of a little different open forum, you know, it's, it's everybody there regardless. Cause they want to get the knowledge. I, I, I classify them as like warriors cause they want to be there. Even that it's the unknown pandemic that's going on. And one of the things that I ask them is like, Hey man, be honest, be honest with yourself. Be honest with us. If you guys go out, you know, the night before and you're doing some boozing and you're with 20 or 30 people around, you don't know where they're at, wear a mask the next day. If you're staying at home and you're with your family and you're kind of doing the thing that everyone else is doing, come in, we'll figure it out. We'll try to stay six feet away. But when I'm doing a safety check on someone going off a 10 story building, it's hard to be six feet away. You got to put hands on, you got to touch them, you got to do. And then You know, when you're going up inside a building and you're doing some shoring or you're doing some RIT team stuff or, you know, extrication, I mean, you're trapped. You're around them and you know how it is in the heat of Florida. You're not wearing an additional mask with all your gear, safety glasses and think you're going to be able to see anything while you're doing Mm -mm. extrication. Mm -mm. So so we've we've modified as much as we can, but there's just some places that it's it's still down and dirty. You know, we have to stay engaged with everything that we're doing and where we can make the time up and wear the mask and, you know, be away from each other and all that, yep. then we will. But yep. other times we got to get after it.
2: And, and that's what we're doing with this class as well. Every day, it's a mask on and you're wearing it no matter what you're in the building. We have the social distancing in place. You know, we have a class of eight. It was designed that way. We, we we're going to have a class of 16 for this pump ops class, but We had to limit it because we had to create that space for the room Outside, we're wearing masks and it can become cumbersome. You know, I wear glasses. I don't have sunglasses with prescription lenses. So, you know, what happens the moment you step out in the Florida humidity with a mask? You can't see. So, it's like, okay, hey, look at that. Oh, it's fuzzy, you know? And, and so, you know, it's like, all right, it's bad enough that I'm sweating profusely. And you see these kids wearing these gaiters or these masks, and some of them are nylon and they soak up that water from the sweat, you know? And then they become another form of a, a hindrance to breathe. And so they've got to wring them out to put them back on. And it's just frustrating, but it's the way we have to operate in order to keep each other safe. And, and that's the bottom line. You can't, We can discourage it, disagree with it. It doesn't matter. We have an obligation to keep each other safe and we have an obligation to train. And at the same time, the two have to coexist. And, and we just have to figure the ways to make that happen.
3: Hey, uh, hey Jason, me and um, me and Herbert trying to patent a mask that, yeah. that it comes way out so you can grow your mustache out, still covers the outside.
2: Yeah. yeah, Goes on
3: when you take it off your mustache is still nice and perfect
2: yeah see I'm going to tell you something when you're wearing the gator and you have a mustache yeah it's a total total beast it's a, it's the worst thing in the world <laughs> we're, we're going right around
3: that we're gonna we're gonna figure something out man
2: this is an N95 in itself right here okay we're, no we're
3: innovators we're innovators all the way man
2: and, and I wore the the NRC gator for the first week of the class and, and then I decided to swap out I I put on another gator so I'm going back and forth but yeah the NRC gator with the the Smigar, it's it's been my favorite one to wear so it, you know it's light it's good. It works Works, you know, but they're beasts on the mustache.
0: Hey, so real quick, guys, uh, when we get ready to wrap this up, Captain Eric Johnson from uh, Palm Beach County, he uh, he brought up a good point. Put it in the comments. He said uh, we're still running medical calls. Every department's running medical calls. Yep. So he said if the department isn't allowed training on the uh, medical calls, take the time with your crew, pre-plan, talk about the stretches, talk about how long the stretch is going to be. That's uh, I couldn't agree more with them. It, you got to uh,
2: do that anyway, officers, too.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, as company officers, you got to find ways to keep your guys engaged. You know, no matter where you're at, whether you're in rural Florida, Alaska, it does not matter. You're running medical calls. We've take been. The time, go ahead. Go ahead. Take the time to to pre-plan those buildings with your crew. Talk about stretches. Talk about. Forcible entry, let them size up a door right there. There's a million different things that we can do while we're leaving that medical call. Let those guys see that. Just engage them in that. There's a lot that can be taught without going there and doing destructive training. Yeah. So showing those guys how to properly size up a door, the stretch, Okay, hey, if if we get a fire, okay, on this floor right – on this door right here, where are we going? Which stairwell are we taking up? Let those guys pre-plan that. It takes maybe 10, 15 minutes, but it gets the guys thinking. So in two weeks, if a fire happens there, guess what? You know what? Uh, We pre-plan this. Yeah, I think uh, –
3: I think the stretch, I think the stretch, like you're talking about, like that's what you hear. Oh, size the stretch up the stretch, uh, the search technique, where we're at, what time walk in the building, every we've been doing this on medical calls long before COVID. But I do agree with Eric Johnson Mm -hmm. that now it's like amplified. Like you have to utilize it to your advantage now, but every single time you walk in on a medical call or you just go in on a public assist, you're looking at everything. And like I said, I've never been the huge hose guy, never been the engine guy. So stretch was always second, secondary to things I was looking at. I was looking at, you know, VES type stuff. I was looking at search technique, what time of day, how how you know how big are the halls, where are the doors, are these SROs, what kind of roof? I mean, just going right down the, the whole run. And yeah. then now my crew has got me looking at, you know, oh, th- what about this stretch? What am I? Like, All right, I'll bite. I'll go in on the hose line.
1: <laughs> um, I've had the privilege to uh, work with Eric at the, at the academy with uh, Captain Johnson, and uh, last year at uh, Fort Lauderdale the fire conference, uh, he's locked in. He's absolutely right. We do a lot of uh, a lot of that already. Like uh, Greg just said, we, you know, are residential uh, pre-fire plans sitting around waiting for the rescue, or sitting at the at the house, rescues working. We're backing them up. Uh, a lot of positioning. Where are we parking the truck? What mm-hmm. kind of roof are we looking at? How far is our stretch in the front yard? I'm also I'm not really a hose guy myself, Greg, but I ride a modern piece apparatus, you know, a quint company. So kill so the, the fire, the the
2: multi-purpose with a ladder. Just yeah. say it, multi-purpose yeah. with a ladder. Okay, so quint
1: identified an engine, other day the, truck. Most of the time, it's I'm all good. Ambulance. It's good. It's good. Hey, you the, got the, the quint equipment and water.
3: The hey,
2: quint I, killed I, the I, fire I,
3: service I, man.
1: I agree with you guys. Uh, it's, a nice You're driving
3: line, me too, it's cute. It's so
1: cute. What's, it, what's that like a,
3: what's that like a 37 foot ladder on it what what do you have on the top of
1: that thing? 78 78 It's the proper positioning right angle anyway we do that all we do that all the time we do that all the time in all our, all our residentials and uh and again like like herb said burn down every freaking house in your district every every time we're sitting in a light I'll look over at a house in the corner and I'll burn it down in my head where would I park the truck where's my first line going where's my second line going I look over at my driver Dave hey Dave saw the property on 31st street We're sitting at the light. This is a two second conversation. We pull up the truck here. We're going to get our ass close to that side of the building so we can maximize the reach of our 78 foot ladder. Yep. You know, so we, we talk about this all the time. So burn down every house in your city and do those residential pre fire plans,
2: especially in those high risk, low frequency events where you run into hoarder homes or homes with surprises that have basements, which we have up here. I've walked into several homes where you walk through the door and all of a sudden there's a big opening and below you, it's a basement. It's like, this is Florida. Well, I've got a basement in my house, but this is funny to see because that's a northern thing. You don't see basements in Florida that often. I'll be surprised. They're everywhere. And you just don't know until you get in that house to actually find it. And you got to think about it. What are you going to do if you walk through that door and you've got spoke bank down to the floor and you're walking through it? And now you'd go over that that railing and you're down 15 feet down to the ground because you're, you know, you went down the hole. You didn't actually know it was there. So we like to target hazard those homes. We like to put them in the CAD system, make sure that they're marked. So crews who don't work the area normally, you know, it'll come up as a hazard and it'll indicate, Hey, there's a basement. And if you go through side alpha or Delta or Charlie or whatever, this is where you're going to encounter it. So be ready. Cause it's that close to the entry. And that's another thing. Hoarder homes. That's a whole nother ball game. Cause we got those all over our neighborhood uh, in our community. And it's scary because they're at varying levels and, you got to think about one of the questions I like to ask our collectors. And, and this is a nice way of talking to them because, you know, they don't like being called hoarders. You call them collectors or resellers. They like those terms. It seems, where do you sleep at night? Cause they don't always sleep in the bedroom, do they? No, because most of the bedrooms are usually packed full of shit. They don't sleep in the conventional places. You would expect those people to sleep. Most people to sleep in, right? Most people sleep on a recliner in the living room, on a sofa, They'll sleep where they have space, and that's usually not going to be the bedroom. So you want to know where am I going to go the moment you roll up on that house when it's on fire, high, high risk, low frequency. The door I go in is going to be the door you're going to be at, and that's priority to get that life safe. Take the hose line if you got to, but get in that door and get that life. And Now you at least have the advantage knowing that's where they're going to be versus trying to play the guessing game and going through windows that are blockaded by you know tons of shit, you know?
1: Follow the gaming trails, follow the game trails. You're going to search off that line. Whatever trail they created through their collector's home is where you're going to look and search and stretch your lines because that's one that they're using to get to and from. Like you said, most of those rooms are storage units.
2: Yeah, legit. I could show you pictures, uh, you know, one time and and one day I'll show them to you. When we see each other, I'll show you pictures of some of the homes in my community uh, that actually are hoarder homes. And you can see how scary it is. You see a window. But you don't see the other side of that window and you go to V.E.S. that room and and you're punching through and you're okay breaking glass. But then you're blockaded by a dresser or a pile of, you know, uh, whatever, you know, boxes, you know, clothes, you name it, garbage. You can't get through it because, you know, I got a woman who sleeps in a room that has clothes surrounding her from the floor to the ceiling. You can't go through that window. You got to go through the door on the Charlie side of the building. And then you know that the family sleeps on the slider. You got to go through the slider because they've got the sofa and the couch right there, the sofa and the recliner. So I know I've got the woman here and I got the two people here. And those those are the two rooms I got to focus on when I get on scene, if it's on fire. So I know where I got to split my split the dynamic if I got to do something, you know.
0: uh, Real quick, I just want to say I'm proud of every single person on this fucking podcast, not saying V.E.I.S., uh, it's VES. E S. I'm I'm pretty sure the 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 four of us agree on that.
3: Yeah, you. I think you would be deleted if you said that. You know what um, I mean? I
0: agree. I agree. So, hey, so what do, what do do to that. guys, it's uh, it's truly a pleasure to have both you guys on, Rob and Jason. Um, you guys have literally. I mean, just looking at the comments, it, it's been nothing but positive. Um you guys we want you back on here we want to we want to sit here and just uh talk the shit with you guys and, and we'll, we'll get you guys back on here in a couple of weeks but uh with that being said uh we'll start with rob give us just some quick information or 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 some uh knowledge that you want to drop it that that you feel can potentially help either the company officer the senior man the the brand new guy and uh, after Rob, same with you, Jason. Then we'll, we'll go to Greg, and we'll, uh, we're, we're going to wrap this up.
1: All right. I'm going to keep it real simple, real basic. Uh, uh, whether you're the senior man, the senior company officer, the junior company officer, or the aspiring company officer, guys, keep it 98.6 degrees. Never too hot, never too cold. Consistency is key. Be a lifelong student of the game. Being a lifelong student is going to create trust amongst your members. They're going to follow you anywhere, anytime. Create relationships. Relationships are so important. Human relationships. Find out about them, their needs as human beings, and their families. Find out what their goals are individually and cater to those goals. The cookie-cutter approach does not work, all right? Uh, Create trust with somebody in the crew that you can have an open dialogue with to get that 360 feedback. This is how I'm doing today. Um, how, How are you doing? How did I perform? And have that honest, open conversation where you can be introspective and find out how you can improve and keep developing as an officer and, and as a human being in order to better serve other human beings. And most importantly, I had a battalion chief of mine, uh, and I'll say his name because he's no longer with us, uh, battalion chief Danny Steele. Um, Love that man. Raised me from day one. Raised me right. Um, rest in peace. He pulled me over aside one day and uh, said, uh, Rob, uh understand you just made lieutenant, and this is your first step. And this is before servant leadership was even a thing. Mm. And said, you know, uh, never forget that these men and women that are now your subordinates, you know, and I use that term loosely again, do not serve you. And they are not here to serve you. You You're here to serve them. And every time you promote thereafter, you're responsible for serving more people. You're serving them, their needs, and their families, and the public that we are sworn to protect. Okay? Um, And he said this in 2005, before I had ever read a book on servant leadership. And he, he just got it back then. And that stuck with me throughout my entire career. Anytime that I had to do something that I thought was beneath me do, based on immaturity and what I saw from other officers that I, at the time I thought were doing it right, I remember Danny Steele's words. And I'd be like, you know what? I'm here to serve them. And I and I chose to take this test. I chose to take this position. I know where I wanna be 10 years from now. And I'm gonna continue serving those people that are working with me at the firehouse. and prepare them as best I can for them to become leaders themselves and to continue serving the public that we protect. I, I thank you for having me on here. I had a blast. Time flies when we do this. I'm glad I got to meet Jay. Finally, look forward to working with you in October. Look yeah. forward to working with both of you guys. Again, anybody who wants to reach me, reach out to me. I'm on social media. I know you guys all contact me via Facebook. Give me a call or reach. Uh, you can email me at captain Rob one zero seven five at Gmail. Thank you. Sweet.
2: I'm going to start two things. Herb, Greg, first time we met each other, I fell in love with both of you. And, and, and Herb, you know, we've, we've evolved a friendship that I'm grateful for. And, and you have been by my side. I've shared deep things about who I am with you in reflection. And you still, stood by my side and, and you still understood, you know, the human factor exists in this world and that it's okay to be a leader that fails and it's okay to be a human that fails. And, and I'm grateful for you. And Greg, I, I, re, I often look at that picture with that mustache that we took together the day I won that awesome cooler. And I reflect on that moment and I see a pride in your eyes that I, I really admire and a love for this service that I, I think is second to none. And what you guys do with National Rescue Consultants, I, I praise, I talk about all the time. I share your, your material and your classes because I believe in what you guys do. Rob, I'm going to tell you, meeting you the first time was in your podcast with Greg and, and Herb. And and when you reflected on your moments in Haiti and you reflected on your moments in Parkland, tears, tears to my eyes, man. And, and I texted Herb, And I said, that's a person who understands what it means to see devastation and loss and bring it back. And he's able to share that experience from from his perspective. And he's able to 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 embrace what he saw. and, And still he takes that initiative to be a leader. And he's he's there inspiring crews and guys and girls to just do a fucking good job because you've seen death and destruction in ways that maybe none of us will ever see. And you're, you're an awesome man. And and, and that mm. podcast brought it home to me. And, and it really, just thinking about Parkland and thinking about what you saw in Haiti and, and the impact of that, and, and, and that just hit me right here, 110%. And, and, and you earned my respect and admiration that day. 110% you did. And and I felt, and I I know I texted Herb because I, I said that was 100%. One, no ifs, ands, or buts. Now, to leave it with what matters in the end and how we can... Do good out there. Keep the expectations of doing a good job with a good attitude. Keep it simple. Be dynamic with your crews when they give you feedback. Receive their information. Evolve that information and grow them because they are investments. The bottom line is when you join the service, you are a leader. Whether you realize it or not, you took, you took this role to be a leader. Okay, okay. And that means you're going to make decisions that you've never faced before in your life. And that means life and death in most cases. And it's hard to swallow that pill sometimes for some until they're faced with it. And then they realize that they're made for this career, if they're able to make those decisions, if they're going to sink or swim and it's okay to fail and it's okay to make mistakes and get written up and it's okay to take a, take that rip. And then you learn from that rip and then you grow. And then you take those opportunities to educate, expand your knowledge base, be humble And know you're not perfect. And know you're not the best. And don't let those other people out there shame you into thinking you have to be the best. Because you know what? It's not about being just good enough. It's about being you. It's about being who you are meant to be. And if it means you're going to be a Lou, a Chief, or a Jake just fucking show up with a good attitude and do the best job you can because you're serving that community. And that is a bigger aspect of servant leadership because in a sense, you're giving of yourself willingly to others and that's important. So that's where I'm going to close it.
1: Amazing, bro. Thank you, man. Awesome. Greg. Yeah. Hey,
3: thanks. That's really easy to follow. Appreciate that. Um, suck, Greg. Yeah. I'm going to try not to suck. Sorry about that. So uh, Jason, when I first met you, I didn't know much about you. Herbie was kind of telling me, you know, the can man, I'm like, all right, you know, I know who it is. And I met you and same, same exactly what you said. When I met you, I was like, all right, this guy gets it. And and, and I'm okay with that. Like we come from different parts of the town, you know, we're different part, departments. We might not even see eye to eye on a lot of things, but we get it and we're going to have a good conversation about it. And it may get heated. Me and Herbie, I, I, the, the foul language we use to each other on a daily basis is why I think this is going so well. And, um, you know, thanking Rob and and there's a, there's a reason Rob's on here is because I know Rob and I know him well, I've learned a lot from him and I'm sure I've showed him a few things and, and, you know, we just have a mutual respect, but Rob's the kind of guy that when he's in the room, you want to make yourself better, no matter what it is. If you're a fireman, if you're a Lieutenant, what you want to make yourself better because, you know he can hold his own. And same thing on the task force, being in a USAR world, he, he gets promoted and all that, and he absolutely deserves it. And I can't wait to be deployed with him and go work. The couple things couple things that I want to leave you with is um, stay focused in, in your lane, wherever you are. If you're a medic, be the medic. If you're, if you're on a truck, you're on a squad, you're on an engine, if you're a chief, stay focused because that keeps the tactical rhythm nice and smooth. As a company officer, stay disciplined when you're on scene and just control the rescue riot. Not everybody needs to run into the door. It's important to be out by the hydrant. It's important to be inside. It's important to go to the roof, and then you get canceled, and you don't have to go to the roof. So control the rescue riot. Have a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. That's a big one. That's my, that's my go-to term lately. And um, stay with task, uh, your tactical level, your abilities, your skills, and your knowledge. Keep that task in in your mind. And as a company officer, I can't say it enough, or, or even a leader, don't weaponize leadership. Like we say, this is the best job there is. So don't weaponize being a leader. Make make everyone want it, want your position. make, make them want to steal and earn and get your position, and then teach teach from the data, lead from the data, have evidence based leadership. If shit doesn't work, there's a reason it doesn't work, and if it does work, roll with it, make it better, and um and then I'll just leave you with the whole little phrase that I, the little cliche is good enough isn't good enough anymore. You got to step your game up always. Yeah,
0: Yeah. it's uh, all you guys are literally pioneers in the fire service. And I am truly humbled enough to be a part of this small clique of guys that truly get it, guys and girls. And the piece of advice that I can give the guys that are listening is be a student, learn every day. And it's a saying I say all the time and some people can't stand it. And some people like it. This is more than a t-shirt and a fucking sticker. God damn right. So you go out, every fucking fire station has a guy that has 50 million stickers on the back of his truck Every shirt that he owns is a fire department shirt, but he might suck at the job. Don't be that guy. Invest in yourself and be the best fireman that you possibly can be. And I'm not going to sit here and ramble on about it. I'm going to leave it at that. It's more than a shirt and a sticker. However you take it, that's on you. But if you sit there and, and, and you reflect on it, be better than what you were yesterday and continue to grow. That's the most I can give you. And with that being said, we're going to wrap up uh, podcast number three. Uh, I truly thank uh, Jason Liskov, the cam man. I thank Robert Ramirez, uh on behalf of greg rogers and myself we're, we're gonna sit here and uh shout out the sponsors real quick we want to shout out Breachpoint point USAR. we want to shout out the cam man radio show first do screen printing idlh apparel kong usa and nozzleman leather with that being said we appreciate you guys tuning in we'll catch you on the next one